Hello, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are happy that you could join us today. And as you can see, we have our lovely Kali Yuga background uh, for today, because the topic for today is going to be going to be practical in the sense of we we really need to get our ducks in a row and prepare ourselves for what's coming. And some information uh, about that was revealed to us this week. And so we're going to share it with you. <clears throat> now, of course, anytime anyone engages in prophecy, for lack of a better word, or predictions, because of course, even economists, experts, pundits uh, will make predictions about what's going to happen. Anytime anyone engages in any sort of forward-looking activities, we must be prepared to take them with some grains of salt because things do change, plans do change. Having said that, the information that was revealed to us this week brings together uh, several different pieces of the puzzle, so to speak. And it, in part, shores up some of our intuitions regarding the nature of the two sides in a chess match once the game is at an end. And the fact of the matter is, is that our opponent is not our, is our advert, they are our adversary, but they're not our enemy. And even though on the board, they are ruthless, their moves, their tactics, their strategies, are completely ruthless. But once the game is over, the two players shake hands, and if they're going to play again, they reset the board together. We are in that phase now. Because the materialist paradigm that has been dominating this humanity certainly since the dawning of the age of Pisces, that modality, that paradigm has run its course. That, mo that paradigm is coming to an end. And how it is coming to an end may surprise you. Because some of the forces at work behind it, we might look upon them as the adversary, as the Black Lodge, the globalists, the international banksters, 
There's all sorts of players involved, right? BlackRock, Vanguard, the multinational corporations, the global elite. There's all sorts of different camps and labels and uh, to be applied. But for materialism to come to an end, the system has to be imploded from within. Those who currently control the masters of the world, the masters of materialism, they themselves are planning the orchestration of the collapse of the global monetary capitalist economic system. This is precisely what must happen. Where there's a divergence on the other side of that event, that event has a name, you probably have heard it, the Great Reset. On the other side of that event will be, di uh, will be a divergence again, where the global elite, the masters of materialism, will attempt to establish a new paradigm, one in which they have even greater control, even greater mastery over humanity, over the world, over the planet and its resources. And we are going to get into all of this with some with some specificity, with some high resolution analysis where available and where necessary, but also from a broad big picture view, a macroeconomic picture, a global picture, a picture for this humanity. And this will be a roll up our sleeves, get down and dirty where the rubber meets the road, practical discussion around economics, around finance, around markets, around trends, trade, international supply, etc., etc. Remember, just because we're on the path doesn't preclude us from being practical. We must be infinitely practical. And so we have to be able to read the signs. And some of these signs are being writ on a very large placard indeed, the placard of the globalist platform, the globalist agenda, the macroeconomic movements in the world, strategic, political, there are incredible shifts and changes happening as we speak. And so today we want to be able to shed some new light on what some of these may mean and what may unfold 
And the time frame that we're looking at is within the decade. So by 2030. Now there's a second date of 2040, which we've mentioned in the past. So really we're looking at a decades long period between 2030 and 2040 that represents this window because a wave of change, as we described it in the description of this video, a tsunami is coming to wipe away the existing paradigm. And while that wave is coming to wipe away the old, again, there will be camps lining up to establish the new, but it's our opportunity to ride that wave, to surf that wave, if you will, such that when the wave passes, there will be players and camps who rise up to establish the new and the existing players, the power brokers, the global elite will be bypassed. They might have their pockets of influence and their pockets of power, but the new will be so exceedingly superior to the old that even many uh, of the old guard will come and be converted. They will come and latch on to the new because they will recognize. They will recognize the advantages. Before we go any further, there is a comment that uh, uh, Moon Azabi says, hello, beautiful soul tribe. I'll put that on the screen. And um, as usual, we're going to put the link here uh, to come and join the discussion today. So we wish to begin this discussion with 2008. Now, 2008, if you recall, was the subprime mortgage lending scandal in the, in the United States, which very nearly toppled the banking system. And, the, and it led to a prolonged recession and the government of the United States had to quote, bail out big banks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the subprime mortgage lending scandal, if you recall, centered around the issuing of mortgages to individuals who would otherwise not qualify for a mortgage. And these mortgages were then bundled into investment <clears throat> vehicles, funds, de but derivative funds. So 
they were packaged and then bundled and then repackaged and rebundled because that's how derivatives work such that in the final product that was presented to the investment banks and to um, retirement funds, uh, pension funds, etc., they were stamped triple A rating by the uh, rating agencies, Moody's, etc. So uh, a triple A investment represents an investment that's very low risk. <clears throat> but meanwhile, these derivatives were had as their foundation these high risk loans, these high risk mortgages. The result of this was, uh, you know, supply and demand. So if you make it easier for more people to buy homes, the price of homes are going to go up. As the prices of homes started going up, people started getting on the jumping on the bandwagon and buying second house, second homes and third homes, houses, condos, buying real estate for investment purposes. And anybody could get a mortgage. So you had not only individuals who shouldn't qualify for a mortgage, getting a mortgage on their own home, they were buying second, third, fourth houses. And then they were renting them out or they were holding them for because they were watching the prices go up and up and up and up and up because they had created a housing bubble in the United States. And as we know, uh, bubbles burst. That is their nature. You can, there, there, there is no bubble in existence that can keep growing and growing and expanding and expanding and expanding forever. So when the bubble bursts, people realize uh, that, you know, the homes that they had got mortgages from, when that housing bubble burst and the housing market collapsed, now people owed money in the form of mortgages on real estate, which the values of the property was now less than the money owed in the mortgage that that property was bought with. And this is what caused the, the uh, investment banks to almost go under because the investors came and to pull their money out of these funds. And so now how this worked was these investment banks had bought these mortgages, these high-risk mortgages, and repackaged them into these so-called AAA ratings. But now, as the investment investors came and pulled their money out, what, what money they could, all of these went to zero. And all of these banks were left holding the bag. Well, the American taxpayer was actually ended up holding the bag as citizens across the country defaulted on mortgages, the U.S. government was bailing out the big banks and bailing them out because they were, quote, too big to fail. But these big banks were the ones who had orchestrated this entire 
um, fiasco. Now, why do we mention all of this? Why should this be of any importance? Because like many things that has that have been taking place since, well, decades, decades and decades, but specifically since 2001, we know all know about what took place on September 11th. 2008 was another milestone in a strategic plan which included test runs, trial runs. The 2008 subprime mortgage lending crisis was engineered. They wanted to see if they could preempt the collapse of an entire market and the entire banking sector. Hello, Azazel, how are you? Oh, you're muted, you're muted. <laughs> I can't hear you anyway. Um, so the, uh, now where were we? Oh yes. So they wanted to see if they could, uh, sabotage and, and implode the, uh, the financial system in a relatively easy way and a very, and, and also a relatively clandestine way in a way that would be very hard to spot by regulators, by experts, by pundits, etc. Like the subprime more the subprime mortgage lending uh, crisis grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And the only real indication was a real estate bubble. But those come and go anyway. So nobody made, you know, much of it. Um, well, it turns out that there's another bubble taking place right now as we speak. But before we get into that, Azazel, as you, did you get your mic fixed? Oh, I still can't, we still can't hear you. Hang on a second. Let's try. Uh... Yeah, it says that you've muted yourself. Uh, Lux says sends his greetings. Hello, Lux. How are you? While uh, Azazel tries to uh, work out uh, his uh, sound issues on the other end. Um, there's another bubble that's taking place, and not just in the United States this time, but it's a worldwide, it's a global bubble. A market has been going haywire. It's been going off the charts. And if you've been paying attention, especially if you've been in the market for an automobile, in the last two or three years, you know what bubble that we're referring to. It's the automobile bubble. 
It's an automobile. It's a the the prices of used cars have skyrocketed because of a so-called shortage of chips and because all new cars are all computerized and they all have fancy touch screens and everything in them and, and everything's gone. Uh, nothing's barely anything is hydraulic or pneumatic or, or uh, mechanical anymore. They've, they've made as many things electronic, digital and computer controlled as possible in automobiles. And so because of COVID so-called, uh, the excuse is that the chip manufacturers, because of COVID and the lockdowns, they lowered their, their expectations of demand. And so they, the uh, chip supply was reduced because they anticipated lower demand. But it turns out the opposite was the case. As people were locked in at home, they were buying tablets and second computers and so on and so forth. And so the actual demand for chips increased, not decreased. So you had an increase in demand and a reduction in supply. And this caused this this uh, global shortage in chips. Now, because that pandemic was planned, you can see how these two things relate to each other. Because you now have an excuse, right? A viable excuse. So when people look into it and they say, why is there a bubble in the automotive sector? People can say, oh, well, it's because of the chip shortage. And why is there a chip shortage? Oh, well, because of the, the global pandemic. Oh, okay. And that's it. People don't look further than that. Why would you? But in the meantime, while this was happening, car loans have never been easier to get. Hello. I think Aha. it's working now. Yeah. Aha. Aha. <laughs> uh, in the beginning was the word, and now we have Azazil's words. Okay. Excellent. Glad you can join us. Yeah. Glad I could be here. Um, so, whereas before 2008, in the years leading up to 2008, any Tom, Dick, or Harry could get a mortgage, now... The advertisements are bad credit, no credit, no problem. You can own a brand new 2023 automobile or a used automobile of your choice. We'll, you know, we finance terrible credit, no credit, bad credit, this credit, that credit. It's crazy. Yeah. It's all over the place. And the supply and demand because of the uh, shortage of, of new vehicles available for purchase, the price of used vehicles has shot up because of supply and demand. And the fact that everybody can get a car loan now, that that, that is also increased demand in the autom for automobiles. So you have this, this global market 
but where and whereas uh, these are big ticket items for most people, an automobile is next to their home, it's their biggest purchase. But because of after since the 2008 real estate crisis, and because so many people around the world only rent their homes, the powers that be saw automobiles because automobiles are a depreciating asset. They saw an opportunity here to reach more people and create an even bigger bubble in terms of size, in terms of people affected, in terms of numbers of loans. And these car loans have been packaged and bundled and sold as AAA investments to the same pension funds, through the same investment banking firms. In other words, it's, two, it's the 2008 subprime mortgage lending crisis all over again, only this time it's automobile loans. Now, why is that significant? The vast majority of people already around the world uh, uh, don't own their home in major metropolitan areas. They can only rent. They can only afford to rent. That means wealthy landowners or corporations and, you know, property management companies and, and uh, investment funds, real estate investment funds, which literally hold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of units in their portfolio, real estate. And, uh, and uh, real estate management firms manage those properties, property management companies manage the properties. So in, for example, uh, in Vancouver, the last time we checked the numbers, it was something of upwards of 30 to 35% of units in downtown Vancouver were empty. They were vacant because they were purchased purely for speculation purposes. Foreign investors, mostly from China, who had purchased condominiums in Vancouver and, uh, and you know, wealthy Chinese people, there's no way that they're going to, you know, they're going to move into a they're not going to rent it out because they bought those units for themselves, for their own family members. For example, when their children come of age, they want to send them to Canada to study. So they're going to come to Canada to be students when they're going to have a effectively brand new condominium to live in. And, uh, you know, wealthy, uh, wealthy Chinese don't are not going to let their, their, their children, live in a uh, a unit that was that was lived in by a stranger right so that's we're talking about the elite now and all over the world you can see this where where real estate holdings are in the hands of fewer and fewer and fewer people so real estate is not a practical uh vehicle to use pardon the pun because already real estate is out of the reach of so many people. So for many, many, many people, the biggest purchase that they have or the biggest thing that they own, the most expensive thing that they own will be their car. 
or their truck or their Jeep or what have you, whatever it is. And wherever you go in the world is generally speaking is the case. Out, again, outside of those people who do own their homes, because there are lots of people who still own their homes. But outside of that, the second largest item that people own is their automobile. Now, we mentioned in the subtitle to this video that this, this, this whole talk is going to be about the end of materialism. Klaus Schwab, head of the World Economic Forum, uh, World Economic Forum chairman, has gone on the record as saying to, uh, in Plan 2030, Agenda 2030, and uh, the Great Reset, that you will own nothing and you will be happy. They are creating an automobile bubble all over the world. Some dealers are marking up certain automobiles by five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars because of the, you know, because there's there's such a shortage, and that one of the reasons why there's such a shortage is yes, there's a chip shortage and all that stuff, but also because everybody can get a loan and they can get loans at like. 0% interest rate or, or, or so, so low interest rates, then everybody is getting a loan. So again, the demand is there, the increased demand, decreased supply, the prices go up and people are paying these prices. They're paying these dealer markups and these dealer premiums. Haggling is a thing of the past. You can't go into, you can't go into a car lot, a car dealer and haggle. For a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars off the price of a car. This is no, no. It's if anything, it's the uh, the dealer who's going to be haggling you and getting marking the 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 price of the car up. These are the dealer markups, and if you don't pay it, no, no problem. Have a nice day because the next person in the door is going to be is going to be willing to pay it because that's what this that's what bubbles are like, right? That's the definition of a bubble, a, a craze, like the tulip craze, the Holland tulip craze and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's really what they're doing. Yeah. Now, into this, we hear rumblings just below the surface, but there are rumblings about China and whether or not China is going to invade Taiwan. Now, why does that matter and how does that relate to what we're talking about? Because Taiwan is the chip manufacturing capital of the world. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine what would happen to this automobile market bubble if all of a sudden, due to some military action in, the, in, the, in Asia, in, in Southeast Asia, the global chip supply was cut off. Even if it was cut off for a month or 60 days or 90 days, the disruption in production, we're talking about millions of automobile <laughs> workers 
steel workers, all that, like everything that goes into the components and automobiles, all those people would have to be laid off because production would grind to a halt around the world. And automobile production is around the world. Every single continent, except for Af Africa and, uh, and Antarctica, has, has automobile manufacturing. And maybe, maybe Africa does have automobile manufacturing. Maybe we're, we're just not aware of it. Maybe they do have automobile, man, uh, automobile plants there. We know Mexico has them, South America, uh, Canada, United States, Europe, Australia. So if all of a sudden the chip supply went to zero or, or as near as close doesn't matter, it's zero or was disrupted in some other way because of some, you know, again, some military action against Taiwan by China. Now this, um, this would take this, this, uh, this bubble automobile bubble and just expand it to biblical proportions. Hermes pipes in and says, that is a very good point. As even Nancy Pelosi was sent over to Taiwan to goad China into action. Thankfully, no bait yet taken. Um, you know, in the uh, recent World Economic Forum um, meetings, there's, there's, this, there's this tone, there's this sense that, that something's brewing in, uh, in that part of the world. Yeah. So now let's let's play this out. Okay? Let's play it out. <clears throat> we would advise all of you if you haven't already done so uh, at some point to look up Ray Dalio on YouTube and watch his videos on the rise and fall of empire. He wrote a book uh, on the rise and fall of empires, and he studied many, many different empires going back 6,000 years. And he, he identified the same patterns that take place. And they're of a financial and economic nature. Um, and he has an excellent YouTube video that's all animated. It's, uh, it's very well, very, very well produced, very, very well explained. And why, why he believes that the collapse has begun for the global empire. And his video explains why. Um, now, I think, if we're not mistaken, is it this video? Hang on a second, we're going to... Um... Let's just, uh, we're going to mute this. Okay. So... So we think this is the video, Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. Um, 
And so it's all animated like this. Yeah, okay. So it's this. Yeah, okay. This is it. This is the this is the video. And he, so he's explaining why these uh, these um, uh, patterns go back. And he was, and it was all about talking about interest rates, right? Money printing. So the the big inflation that we're in right now, an internal conflict. Look, wealth gaps, external conflict. So he's these are the these are the some of the markers that mark these these big changes in um, in changing world orders. And when he talks about world orders. Uh, he's talking about the rise and fall of empires, basically, and that how when each empire collapses, a new world order is established and rises in its place. So let me um, just share this. But you can see just from this, from a few moments of this animation, you get a sense of you know internal conflicts, external conflict, uh, uh, um, rising interest rates, or really low interest or hyperinflation, and um, and the the, uh, the widening wealth gap, like all of these things that are very much at play in the world economy. So uh, this is uh, a uh, a good video to watch, as um, um, to to give more context to what we're describing. But. In order to, for the powers that be, to get out in front of this thing, for the really ultra elite, the ones who have been behind world orders before their collapse and after their collapse, they have to orchestrate, they have to be, they have to actively trigger that collapse in order that they are, they are orchestrating the collapse and they are not being victims of the collapse, right? If the best defense is a good offense, if you know the end is coming, better to get out in front of it and design and devise the ending to be of your own orchestration. That way you have some modicum of control of that, how that thing is coming to an end, how that crash is going to happen. And then you can, you can act on the recovery and the, the rebuilding and the establishment of the new world order, the next world order. And so this is what we're talking about here. The 2008 subprime mortgage lending crisis was the dress rehearsal. And COVID-19 gave them the cover and gave them the impetus to decrease the chip supply and now that that started this automobile subprime auto loan crisis which is currently underway but it nobody knows about it yet and now if china starts something against taiwan that bubble is going to go exponential it's going to go logarithmic because we're you know talking about fleet sales and all these other things um, so this is going to be astronomical. And why would they be doing all this? Because they see the end coming. The hyperinflation, the, the, the collapse of the U.S. dollar and the U.S. economy is, is imminent. Right? It's, it's, and then, you know, the end is nigh, the end is near. So 
So what if they can get out in front of it and collapse the whole thing? What if when the automobile bubble bursts, they can turn around and say, ah, you see, the market for ownership of big ticket items is too risky. It's too dangerous. It's too volatile. We can no longer allow individuals to own big ticket items. Automobile ownership will be outlawed. In much the same way that after the subprime real estate debacle, real estate investment firms came and after the real estate uh, bubble burst, they bought up delinquent housing and, and, uh, and bankruptcy properties. They bought those properties up for pennies on the dollar because that's what happens when, you, when a, a home gets, is bankrupt or a homeowner is bankrupt. They can't afford to pay their mortgage. The bank writes off the mortgage. It writes it down. And they sell, the, they sell the property at rock bottom prices, whatever they can get for it, just to recoup pennies on the dollar of the mortgage. And who paid the balance? Well, the rest of the American taxpayers paid the balance because the United States government bailed out the banks for the balance. When the same thing happens for uh, the automobile situation no one will be able to get a car loan but the 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 market will be flooded with used cars and slightly used cars there will be new organizations or governments themselves that come and buy automobiles and maybe the 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 internal combustion engine ones they will be purchased and taken and destroyed because they want to force everybody to go electric anyway. But also maybe Uber will come and purchase, you know, millions and millions and millions of cars or other companies will come and, and purchase these cars and start leasing them or renting them in some, you know, rental scheme, rental or, you know, car share programming or all kinds of other, you know, things. But car ownership will essentially be outlawed. Or certainly the financing of automobiles, right? Car loans will be outlawed because it's too risky. So it's much better for people to just rent their car or, or uh, probably you will do something like subscribe to an automobile service, like you subscribe to Netflix, right? Yeah. And then you get access to a car whenever you want one, like a car sharing program. Like there's going to be something that takes its place, but you will not own a car. No one will. This is, this is the first salvo, the first major hit. And then they will have, you know, they'll do their congressional hearings and 
the you know, World IMF and World Economic Forum and the leaders of the G7 will get together and they will they will have their hash out their things in the United Nations and blah 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 because this thing will this thing will shatter the world because the automobile industry is so huge it employs so many people and there will be literally millions of people laid off or out of work uh, as a result of this bubble bursting there will be this this incre- this untold overstock oversupply of automobiles and nobody to buy them so there will be corporate entities that come and purchase them pennies on the dollar right governments will be bailing out banks or banks will be going under and with one or two very large bank buying them up on bankruptcy fire sales and this tremendous consolidation of banking power will be taking place possibly even the federal reserve bank itself uh, that's that's all over the world because it's a private bank it's a private organization and this thing will also collapse international currencies the us dollar which is the reserve banking currency of the world will be crashed so this will be perfectly poised for the central banks to then issue their own uh, version of Bitcoin, their own digital currency, to be the new reserve banking currency in the world. And if it is backed by a vehicle uh, rental program where now you have 8 billion people who can no longer own automobiles but have to rent their automobiles from you or from entities which through back doors you own. And in order for them to use those automobiles, they can only do so using your reserve currency. Now, your reserve currency is basically backed by a physical market, by a product. As the world stops, without its automobiles. And this is the first step. This is the first step to you will own nothing and you will be happy. You see where we're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. And this um, is the practical means, the, the, the real world rubber meets the road uh, tools that they have at their disposal that they've already tested in the field. They field tested these this, this process. And, you know, there will be many, many, many people who will be convinced. Yeah, you know what? It's right. We, it's, it's, it's good. These banks have to go under. These banks were reckless and giving loans to people and these car loans and with people, you know, wanting to buy cars then nobody should really own their car. And then this environmental thing will be brought into bear on this. So, so uh, like all sorts of different things are going to be conflated and confused and, and brought into this. So many, many, many people, just like under the pandemic, many people will be convinced that the course of action presented by government leaders and world leaders, many people will be convinced that this is the correct and prudent course of action moving forward. 
then why you know why would you want to own a car anyway especially an electric car i mean the the uh the 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 uh, maintenance costs on them are outrageous. You don't want to own an uh, electric car. You know, when the battery dies, what are you going to do? It's a $10,000, $15,000 thing to replace a battery in an electric car. Wouldn't it be better just to subscribe to an electric car service? And then every two years, you get the latest model. Like, for example, exactly the way many, um, many cell phone companies have their, uh, their phones, right? You, yeah. you you subscribe for the for the service, right? And they give you a phone. A phone is included with the service. So every two years or whatever, or three years, depending on your plan, you can walk into your cell phone provider, your uh, your carrier, and trade in your phone and get the latest model, the latest version, with the the latest the latest software and everything else. That's the way the cell phone companies are doing it. And many, many, many people prefer that. I don't want to have, I don't want to have 20 phones, old phones sitting around in a box, right? I just I'll take it back, trade it in, get a new one, and then I'm on my way. And I just pay the same monthly fee, monthly fee, monthly fee, monthly fee. So because this colossal meltdown, this bubble bursting, is going to affect many other markets. And these many banks are going to go under. That means many mortgages, mortgage lending firms. The, the real estate is going to take a hit because with millions of people losing their jobs, right, the, the demand for, for real estate, is good. that's going to fall. So again, you're going to have these, these anonymous... Uh, firms, entities come in buying up trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth of real estate for pennies on the dollar as people go bankrupt. Just as they're going to be buying up these vehicles, fleets and fleets and fleets of vehicles for pennies on the dollar as people default on those loans. And the banks and the lenders who issued those, those bad loans, they're going to be going under so there's going to be tremendous consolidation in the banking world. And we believe the federal banking uh, 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 cartel will once and for all just assume the role of global bank. The World Bank will become everybody's bank. And they will issue the new global reserve currency will be their own version of Bitcoin. It'll be their own. It'll be their digital currency, one worldwide global currency that will be the new uh, reserve currency for the world. And between uh, this tremendous consolidation of real estate, and tremendous consolidation of automobiles, you have now the two the two largest categories of ownership of, of material wealth. Even though automobiles are a depreciating asset, nonetheless, the two largest as, as percentage of personal wealth, people's real estate and their automobiles are the two biggest ticket items. Both of these will go into rental only. 
you will no longer people will no longer be able to buy them they will no longer be able to uh there will be no banks to issue mortgages and no banks to issue car loans they will be outlawed they will be outlawed by governments for the sake of the stability of the global economy <laughs> yeah right? i mean it's already illegal to be broke so <laughs> so and now everybody's going to be paid in this global reserve currency so you won't be able to buy or sell anything without the global reserve currency which will be a digital currency there'll be no more printed money <clears throat> all the federal reserve banks printing uh money in in the uh in whatever uh, local currencies they'll just stop doing that so then from there you take the next step and the next step once you got once people don't own houses and people don't own cars then electronics furniture the only things that you know people will because people are people and human nature is what it is people will be hoarding you know jewelry uh i don't know maybe antiques so there there'll be all kinds of stuff that people will be hoarding and squirreling away and boxing up and warehousing and burying in their backyard and you know I mean? it's just yeah the the the, the 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 entire human race will 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 transform into a species of of humanoid squirrels <laughs> burying their nuts for the winter you know yeah um desperately trying to hold on to what materialism they can and of course the ruling elite the one percent of the one percent they will own everything because the gag is if you rent a car or if you rent a house you have to rent it from someone who owns it and you pay rent to someone who owns it so who's going to own it well everybody who the, the, all those all the people who 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 know that the end is coming and they're preparing and they're getting their ducks in a row and they're going to liquidate all of their old world currencies all their us dollars their uh, current global reserve currency which is going to nothing because of hyperinflation it will go to zero but before it does they're going to use those us dollars to buy trillions of dollars of real estate and automobile uh, physical assets for pennies on the dollar as they buy out bad debt bad loans bad mortgages and they're going to do all this right and then the governments and the world economic forum and the imf will declare a um uh an amnesty and a debt forgiveness <laughs> but only after the majority of people have already declared bankruptcy and the majority of assets have already been seized and the majority of uh, us dollars already spent and liquidated on physical assets then the world economic forum is going to declare is going to declare uh, uh, a, uh, a debt forgiveness so yeah. all the debt 
that the elite purchased, well, that's all going to be forgiven now. <laughs> they're going to have the assets free and clear. The people who are bankrupt will be, will, will well, they'll have their credit scores cleared, right? They won't own anybody, anything, but most of their possessions will be sold off and bought up by then. And anybody else with having any loans, well, of course, that's going to be forgiven. But now we're going to be looking at a maybe 20%, 30% of the population that still owns something. The vast majority will now be beholden to this, to this new system. And, um, and it's, a, it's a new feudal system. They'll be vassals. Yeah. Because right? that's the way feudalism worked in, um, in not just uh, Europe, but also Japan where you have to pay tribute, right? You have to pay tax to the Lord. And in exchange, the Lord provided you with uh, so-called security because he had a castle and he had knights and he had soldiers. And if your village was ever attacked, he would open up the castle gates and all the villagers could go inside the castle. So while the Vikings or the barbarian hordes or whoever came and ravaged and pillaged the village, all the villagers could huddle and take refuge inside the castle. And, you know, and the Lord said, hey, listen, castles are expensive. Soldiers and knights, they're expensive. So, you know, you've, you've, in exchange for this, um, for this security, you got to pay me taxes. Because anyway, it's all my land anyway, the Lord, right? It was all None of, the, none of the peasants owned their land. The villages were not its own land. They belonged to the Lord. And the irony is that the, the scam was that these lords were constantly waging war against each other. Right? So they would say, oh, you know what? Uh, we'll go, I'll go attack your village now. <laughs> right? And so, so because they always had to generate the reason why the vassals, the serfs, should, should pay the tax. If there's nobody attacking the village, the serfs would be like, why are we paying all this money to the, to the Lord, right? Nobody ever attacks us. But if once every few months, somebody came to attack, and you say, oh, oh let's run into the castle. Right? Yeah. So that while you're in your castle and the, your whole village is burning, you'd be like, oh boy, I'm sure glad we paid <laughs> the taxes so we, could, so we could survive in this castle, right? Yeah. You know, and meanwhile, the guy... The guy uh, um, uh, pillaging and burning the village is the Lord's best friend in the next yeah. town over. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's a scam. Yeah. It was a scam. But I mean, but, but this is the thing, right? Serfs, vassals, they own nothing. The, the, black, the blacksmith owned his tools. The baker owned his recipes. Right? I mean, that, that was about it. Uh, looks uh, as a comment here. The funny paradox is that we already don't own anything because in the end, death reduces all of the vanities of the world to ashes. Well, we'll get to that. You're ahead of us, Looks. You're ahead of us. Because of course you're right. Um, this is all just a shell game. And even what we're describing to you is just a shell game. But we're this information came to us and so we have to we have to relay it to you you know the signs and when you see them unfolding 
you 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 have some semblance, some idea of what's coming next and how it's going to unfold. Because sure enough, the elimination of material wealth and everybody returning to a vassal state, to a state of serfdom, where you don't own anything, you everything is provided to you. You you rent it in a, in a sense, you lease it or, or or however whatever terminology you you subscribe to it my guess is going to be the their chosen word <clears throat> you have a subscription um so this now dovetails completely with the millennials and gen z the millennials specifically who have been raised and educated. Uh, um... Hello, welcome, Blake. Hey, how are you? Good, good. How are you? How are th how's things down under? Yes, yes, uh, very good. Very good at the moment. Sorry to interrupt. I thought I'd just <clears throat> now was a good time to join in. Not so, at all, not at all. Thank you again. Uh, what we were saying is that uh, this dovetails very nicely with the, uh, the, uh, the socialist uh, propaganda and the socialist indoctrination, which has been taking place for two generations now, in in uh, in middle schools and in uh, universities, where we have <clears throat> generations of young people who are exp they they basically long for the nanny state. They desire to be taken care of. They expect everything to be given to them. They they expect to be provided everything that they need. And they expect to not have to pay for it or, or certainly not have to work for it or, right. It's, it's just that they're entitled to it. That education is a, is a, you know, a, a right. They want education to be free, healthcare free, but then everything else. So you know that they've been talking about uh, universal basic income. Yep. Well, universal basic income becomes that much more plausible when people can't can't even purchase housing even if they wanted to they can't purchase it they can't purchase big ticket items so we can now have a universal basic income scheme where the majority of the income that you get we deduct your housing and your vehicle and your major purchases in subscription fees so you're left with with a marginal income to do whatever it is you want to do but everything else is provided for you we provide everything for you now and the millennials are going to eat this up well you're right and them. then you're right because doesn't that also tie into the social credit the credit score system that, that uh is being dreamed up and tested out in china because once you have any everyone on a subscription service, then if you do something wrong, oh, we're gonna get rid of, we're gonna suspend one of your subscriptions. Oh, we're <laughs> gonna suspend this, and then we're gonna unless you have a good score. Oh, then you have it back. And and uh, they have the precedent for how to do that because uh, my my birth parents uh, they grew up in Hungary, and after the communists. Uh, came to power 
following the Second World War, um, some men in black coats showed up at my mom's house one day and they said, uh, okay, pack your things. You're, you're moving out. This house now belongs to comrade so-and-so of the, uh, of the party. And basically they were the, basically the possessions that they were able to take with them were what they could pack into the suitcases they had on hand and everything else went to comrade so-and-so and his family who were part of the, uh, the communist party. And that's just, that's that they've done it before. And so when you, you have a condo, you have a subscription service, you've got a nice condo in, uh, you know, downtown Sydney or Vancouver or Toronto or London or Stockholm or wherever the hell, you know, but you, you, you know, you subscribe, but yeah, your social credit score, uh, takes a hit or just gets reduced arbitrarily because I don't know, you looked at somebody the wrong way and all of a sudden you don't qualify for that, uh, subscription level anymore. Or they, like you said, Blake, they suspend your subscription. Some guys in black coats come and say, okay, uh, pack your things. We've got, you're, you're, you're moving to your new, uh, place. You've been downgraded because of your, um, because of your social credit score. And you can't take anything with you. Forget about taking your big screen TV and all that kind of stuff. No, all of that, because you don't own anything. All of that comes part and parcel bundled with your subscription service. So all you can take with you are your clothes in your, in your suitcases and any other like personal items, right? And that's it because somebody else is going to be moving into your condo probably within hours after you leave. The, the, the socialists and the communists have done this before and they've done it on a mass scale right across the Soviet Union, right across China. Of course, the Soviet Union never had any social credit score, blah, 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 this or that. They're completely arbitrary. Completely arbitrary. It was like, you were, you were, were you a member of the Communist Party or weren't you? That was your social credit score. And even then, even if you were a member, if you were a low-ranking member, pff, you know, just, you know, pff, forget it. You know, worthless, uh, uh, expendable, disposable, right? Cannon fodder. So this social credit score stuff is, of course, a different level and a different system that's going to be tacked onto and, and integrated into this, uh, uh, this global reserve digital currency scheme. And then the next phase of this, of course, is going to be getting chipped, right? So your personal identity or some form of identification, but that, but that tracking chip, that tracking technology, and then they can, they can monitor where you go and what you do and everything. And so they can turn your chip off. And then in that moment, you're unplugged from the system, right? All your subscriptions are canceled. You can't buy or sell anything. You can't even eat. You can't, eat. all you can do is go to a detention center. In other words, a, a camp basically a camp for those who have been unplugged from the system 
uh, you know, a forced labor camp or some other place where they collect people who are non-compliant troublemakers. Well, we'll turn off your chip. Now all of your reserve currency is gone. All of your subscription is gone. You're no longer entitled to your um, your uh, uh, minimum wage income. You know um, your living income thing. And so now you have no choice. You you wander the earth. But it, but the thing is, is that when they turn your chip off, they turn on a tracking device, and you are marked. You are marked as an undesirable as a as a basically the equivalent of an outlaw in uh, the middle ages an outlaw literally meant someone who was outside the law and had to be reined in and had to be arrested and detained at all costs but they would but nobody was allowed to transact business with them nobody was allowed to give them safe haven or harbor them or transport them or you'd be sent to australia (laughs) (laughs) well that's 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 what my country and it was actually i've been doing a bit of reading on that lately and a lot of people think it was over loaves of bread and things like that but a lot of the people that were sent here originally were political prisoners as well well it was for political reasons that that was a big one just as big as uh stealing the loaf of bread and off to the colony you go oh yeah 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 I mean, it's just out of sight, out of mind. But no, because um, uh, that's uh, too much work and too much hassle. There are the equivalent of FEMA camps on every single continent, including Australia. They, they Australia already has camps built. And they built them, uh, probably um, they were built under the uh, the guise of quarantine camps under COVID. Yeah, we've got them, and they're empty, and they and they're not. Yeah. There's one where I, there's one where I live, and there's a lot of debate on using it for a good public person uh, uh, purpose, like drug rehab or something like that. But the government, it's still vacant for some reason. That's right, and they will remain vacant. Like like for example, uh, in the United States, they're called FEMA camps, uh, which is uh, the Federal Emergency uh, Management Agency. If we got that right. Federal Emergency Management Agency, so FEMA, and they've built these camps out in the uh, in the Midwest and in the deserts uh, of the country, literally hundreds and hundreds of miles from the nearest settlement, from the nearest town. Now, so there's, in some cases, they're thousands of miles away from the nearest metropolitan area. Okay, federal emergency <laughs> management camp. So, okay, so tell me, when was the last time the Grand Canyon was hit with a hurricane or a tsunami or, right? And, like, you see the mismatch, right? Why would you build an emergency camp to house people displaced from from natural disasters and other emergencies that are literally thousands of miles away from the nearest metropolitan area where the people that would actually need those camps currently live. And why would you put a camp so remote that it would be so difficult to resupply, you would resupply the camp with airdrops. 
from, from Hercules transport planes and such? Well, the answer is you put them there because you don't want people to know about them. <laughs> and you put them there so that if people do escape, they have hundreds of miles of, of, of desert terrain and like stuff to, to try to try to uh, navigate before they can get to uh, before they can get to, to civilization. It's the same reason why the uh, the Soviets put their camps in um, in Siberia. It's the same reason that China put their camps where they have their camps, which are in all in remote rural areas of China. But they have camps, concentration camps. They don't call them that, but that's where those people with, with a low enough uh, a social credit score, that's where they end up. So this social credit score thing, that's been done before, but in the past it was just, you know, are you or aren't you? You, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us. This new social credit score thing is more sophisticated and it's more... Um, it gives people, it, it, it creates the illusion of some kind of credibility. And it also, you know, people are funny because of pride and because of shame. Uh, you see, it's very, when you, when you create a, a dialectic, if you're not with us, you're against us. It's very easy that 50% of the people will say, well, I'm not with you just to spite you, right? But when you create a social credit score, now it's a gradient. Now there's like this gray area. And are you, are you, are you one of the delinquents? You know, are you a D or an F like in school, right? Are you a B or a B plus or an A student, right? Are you on the honor roll or are you a flunky? Now it creates a different uh, uh, you know, dynamic. Now, a lot of people will still proudly wear the badge of flunky and you know and give the middle finger to the authorities and like they just like they did in school and their grading system but a lot of people you give them a grading system and you give them you show them all the perks of being in the a's or being in the b's or the a's a lot of people will 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 strive to achieve that and we'll see and we'll wear that we'll wear that as a mark of honor a badge of honor especially if those people have a vested interest in and a, and and have been conditioned to receive right and and want the nanny state i.e the millennials the ones who have been raised that way so all of this now okay this is one big huge big picture ball of <laughs> okay <laughs> All right. Okay. The global elites, they want to eradicate materialism for the masses. Now, their version of that eradication of materialism is the twist on it, is their dark, sinister twist on it, is that the ultra, ultra elite, of course, still get to own materialism they own everything and they own the people on the land because those people now are beholden to them right 
just like the serfs, just like the vassals in, in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. The lords were the lords. And they owned everything. And do you think it's, a, right? do you think it's going accord do you think it's going according to plan? Like exactly to plan for them though? Because well let's, let's well okay, well say because. Sorry? Say say because you, you I cut you off. Oh no, no uh, because what what I've known what's been there's been on the other side of things, like we've BRICS is trying to implement is at the moment trying to implement its own currency and Saudi Arabia's action and Turkey are actually signing up to it, which they're not very in, the West is not very impressed at the moment with it. Do you see this as part of the same the same plan or it's something a bit different according to the according to the script? Okay. All right. So let's let's uh, let's get into it. This is the 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 colossal big picture plan in very broad strokes, right? Yep, yep. Now, as we described it, there will be a wave that's coming to wipe away the old and these folks believe that in the midst of that or af in the aftermath of that, they will have the impetus the and the 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 reasoning, the rationale to establish and win over the public to sign on to this this new world order okay you will own nothing and you will be happy exactly as benjamin says here everything will be referent and loaned to people um and he says it's playing out like a sci-fi movie of an of an advanced race uh playing out the takeover now the reality is is that all of this financing and monetary and uh, you know all of this stuff believe it or not this really is just a shell game where the rubber meets the road for any humanity but especially ours at this time and the Ukraine war has shone a spotlight on this on the fact that this humanity <clears throat> our entire economy is based around energy currency is called currency for a reason this is the exact same reason that we have electric currents and why pipelines be it carrying natural gas or oil what flows in pipelines flows in a current So this financial, economic, monetary, banking, whatever, social credit, whatever system that they've got going on, this is really the smoke and mirrors. This is really the surface level stuff 
masking and hiding the real currency, which is energy. And it's materialist energy for this humanity right now. It's still oil. Well, it's fossil fuel based. It's fossil fuel based. Because now they've, you know, there's lots of people, there's lots of countries all over the world that, that have been shutting down their nuclear plants, you know, mothballing their nuclear plants and all this other thing because they, they want to go green, right? Green energy, green energy, green energy. We're talking about the future is electric. Oh, yeah, and- Europe's destroying its own economy and deindustrializing, and everyone's um, not going to be cold and you'll just have to put up with it because well, Russia needs to be heard. Well, the reason why that is, though, is because uh, they, we, they've reached peak oil. They've reached peak oil. And with 8 billion people on the planet, they've, they realize that if their energy reserves run out, then they have no more power. So they have to, they've been pushing this green revolution because they're desperate to get out in front of it and get on top of it. And they want to be the ones in control of the green energy grid and the green energy revolution, et cetera, et cetera. Because again, these people, they can only think in terms of material, physical reality so for them energy is not so much about what's in the ground even the fossil even the fossil fuels right it's not so much about what's in the ground it's about the refining the ref- the, uh, the 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 shipment the refinery and the distribution of that energy the control of the flow of the current in other words just like a bank controls the currency uh, uh, a central bank, which is part of the Federal Reserve banking system, the global banking system, a central bank controls the flow of money in a country. They control the flow of currency. That's why Nikolai Tesla was destroyed and, and um, uh, intentionally undermined and destroyed. The government stole his patents. And he was destroyed and why Thomas Edison was propped up as the inventor of electricity and the genius of electricity because Thomas Edison, uh, when he went into Morgan Stanley, so, so I don't know if you know the story, Tesla went into Morgan Stanley and he said, I've got this great idea. It's electricity. We're going to generate it at a, at a thin air and we're going to broadcast it into the air. And anybody anywhere can put up a tower and draw down on electricity and have power anywhere they are. We're going to build these things called Tesla towers with Tesla coils, and uh, right? And then Morgan Stanley heard him out. And he says, "Yeah, you know what? How, how are we going to make any money?" And Tesla, Tesla, who it never even dawned on him <laughs> that 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 anybody would, you know, he's talking about giving. The United States and everybody in the United States access to unlimited power. And in his mind, he has visions of the Jetsons, right? <laughs> the future, right? He's not thinking about how, what do you mean? What do you mean? How are we going to make any money? Don't you see what we're talking about here? We're talking about the, he says, yeah, but how are we going to make any money? 
And I said, oh, okay, all right, Nikolai, I'll think about it, right? And he shoot, you shoot him out the door. A couple days later, Thomas Edison walked into Morgan Stanley's office. And he says, I got this great thing. It's called electricity. <laughs> and Morgan's saying, oh, here we go again. All right, all right, give me the pitch. Yeah, what we're going to do, we're going to generate it uh, here and there and with coal fire plants and all this kind of stuff. And then we're going to create this thing called a grid. And we're going to send all the electricity out on wires. And everywhere, and, and then so uh, Morgan said, yeah, but how do we make any money? And, and, uh, and Edison said, oh, that's the best part. He says, every time a wire goes into a house, we're going to put a clock, a meter on that wire. And we're going to measure all the electricity that uh, went into the house. And once a month, somebody's going to come by, read the meter, and write down the numbers on a piece of paper and put it in their mailbox. And that's how much they owe the electric company. And Morgan Stanley said to Thomas Edison, how much money do you need? And he wrote him a blank check. And that's the only reason why we have an electrical grid. And that's the only reason why we have a company called General Electric. Because that was Thomas Edison's company. He started General Electric with Morgan Stanley. And, um, and why Tesla was relegated to the trash heap of history the dustbin and all of his patents were seized by the US government and they were uh, they were uh, kept hidden uh, under under the reasons of national security under the guise of national security the tesla's inventions posed a threat to america's national security if they were ever to get out in in public and the threat that they posed was free energy and that and and that is the what is coming on the horizon and why why we mention this whole energy thing is because uh you asked if it's playing out according to plan well there are pockets of people very very smart people very well funded people working in isolated little pockets all over the world quietly without fanfare they have no websites they have no twitter accounts they have no youtube you know they, they are not they're not like elon musk parading around on stages beating his chest tell, saying how he's going to change the future these people are not like that right anytime you see anybody out in the front in the media making a big show you got to ask yourself what's really going on here the the people who are quietly developing revolutionary technologies and revolutionary approaches they're doing so and many of them are in jurisdictions that are not friendly to the united states that are not uh, that are not in bed with the united states so for example, like the Maldives and um, there are other uh, um, these small nations and small pockets of independent, independently oh. governed, uh, uh, governed. And then so these these individuals are in those jurisdictions. On the free energy stuff, I remember I can't remember the doctor's name, but there was a doctor in Iran who was developing a lot of the stuff. He was he's he had built on Tesla's principles and he was developing stuff along that line. But 
I don't know what, a few years back, I think it all went dark, but there was a website and there was things like that. But yeah, so I get what you're saying. Like there, there are these things that are going on that we can't quite see in, in that, in those sorts of areas. And then there's the Atlas project, right? There's the Atlas project. There's what we have, what we have and what we're working on and what we continue to work on. Mind you what, um, so there are many, many individuals, and there are also many disillusioned elites. Now, they might not be, you know, they're not Elon Musk. They're not the richest man in the world type. They're not Bill Gates, and they're not these Jeff Bezos types. They might not be, they're, they're not measuring their wealth in hundreds of billions of dollars, but they don't need to. And they have enough wealth, and they have enough connections and influence that they can make a contribution and they want to see this humanity go in a different direction and they know probably a lot of them probably know what the plan is what the the plan of the ruling elite is for humanity and humanity's serfdom and the new digital feudalism of the future, the new digital slavery of the future. So they don't want any part of it. They want to be a part of the revolution which is coming. Because at that, if you, if you watch uh, Ray Dalio's video, he shows the, the, the inflection point of the fall of an existing world order and the rise of a new world order, there's this crossing over point. And that crossing over point, there's conflict, there's all sorts of, it's a volatile reaction that takes place as the crossing over of these two, these two currents, right? That's what we're looking at. Uh, in the, from 2030 to 2040, that decade, and certainly leading up to 2030. So the rest of this decade and the following decade, we're really looking at 18 years, two nine-year cycles. But it, eight, the next 18 years, um, <clears throat> it's going to be a lot of change and a lot of a lot of volatility and a lot of you know, old things being torn down and new things, you know, on the rise. But once 2030 hits and once this major collapse, this major implosion, this bubble bursting and everything we were talking about, and they try to usher in the, the, that new thing, these different players around the world they're going to unite and connect in with one another. And by that time, there are going to be alternative distribution channels for information, which are going to be maybe not on par or on the level of YouTube, but they're going to be close and they're going to be untouchable. And when all of these different quietly working independent teams 
band together and unite under a common banner, under a common cause, then, and it's, and they're, it's, it's going to be a natural grassroots, bottom up, organic coalescence of all of these independent cells of activity. These cells are all independently financed. It's, it's not centrally controlled. It's not centrally organized. It's not centrally, you can't, it's not like you take out the head and the organism dies. No, I know, I know what you mean. Like I know in, in cryptos, as an example, now we've had the FTX scandal, which is, that's a centralized exchange. But you do have all these decentralized um, projects. One I'll give as an example is Cardano, where that's the whole principle is not, it's, it's totally different. It's exactly what you're describing. And that's what people are even trying to do on the finance space globally as well. Like peer-to-peer, full de- decentralized currency that doesn't have a central control to it. It's all, yeah, it, even on that space, it's going on. So when that uh, coalescence takes place um, and that uh, these independent cells bend together and unite and connect and they pool their resources, they pool their talents, they form a network, a web that spans the entire globe and has pockets of activity, cells of activity on every continent and just about every country in certainly every jurisdiction. Now, there is a, a global network of resistance and a global network for an alternative platform. And an alternative platform, which is really an amalgamation of multiple different solutions that these independent cells have been working on, but through the network, they can be replicated and duplicated in other markets and other areas. And when this happens, there will be uh, a competing system. There will be the centralized elite, um, you know, Federal Reserve, digital currency, social credit, blah, blah, blah system. But running parallel to that, just like Bitcoin and these other currencies currently running parallel to like, there will be this alternative system. And how this plays out is really anybody's guess. But if we play our cards right, and if we present the facts, and if we give the people, the populace, uh, a viable alternative, and in a way that's self-evident to them, it's self-evident and experiential, where they they presented with the information and they, they really have no choice but to nod their head. Say, yeah, it, it has to be that. How could, it, how could it be anything otherwise? Then, 
as the global elite intentionally, intentionally sour the global population on materialism and material ownership, right? We catch that wave and saying, oh, you're being denied materialism? Why don't you come over here and discover metaphysicalism, metaphysicality, spiritualism? Materialism has just been taken away from you. Why don't you come over here? Physical science, physical science and the authorities and the uh, universities and uh, um, materialist science letting you down? Come over here and discover metaphysical science. Because a lot of people, what they're working on around, around the world is that, is based on metaphysical science. We don't hear about it because they're not publicizing it. They don't want anybody to know what they're doing yet. And for good reason. If they're working on, if they're using, if they're using uh, Nikolai Tesla and Walter Russell, for example, as the foundation for their work, they're working on metaphysical science. They're working with 4D science. And certainly, what we're working on, what we're working on communicating and getting out there is exactly that. But, but the, the metaphysical science of metaphysical psychology on how to access the higher worlds and know higher worlds and bring them to bear where the rubber meets the road here in, in the 3D world. So... As these forces seek to consolidate their power and take it away and take material, materialism, material ownership away from the masses and give them more entertainments and give them more, uh, for example, more distractions and this new metaverse, right? Because because Apple has yet to enter into the metaverse ring, but they will be making their announcement shortly in the coming months. Oops, in the coming months, Apple is going, to be is going to be revealing their version of the metaverse, their foray into the metaverse. And Microsoft is in the process of acquiring Activision Blizzard, which is going to be one of the largest acquisitions in the interactive entertainment industry in the history of video games. Microsoft Games acquiring Activision Blizzard we don't even know what the final price is right now. The uh, regulators are looking on it, looking at it to see if they give the the go ahead to do so. But this is going to be an absolute key in Microsoft's foray into the metaverse, and that's what they're looking to do, right? They want to they want to put a first a headset on everybody's face, and then later on implant them with a chip. That's what Elon Musk is on the record as saying. Elon Musk is a uh, transhumanist. He believes that every human being should have a chip implanted in their brain to offset and augment their uh, their uh, mental faculties. Well, he's, so, he's got a companies that he's got a company that's developing the fibers and all that stuff, doesn't it? I think didn't they? They've done some tests and if, yeah, it's pretty scary when you look at that stuff. Like how far along they are with it, with it. So. Um, Momig Arvesti says he asks, 
no matter what and how, the elites are going to stay in control. No, no, they're going to try to stay in control, but they've had their day. And they're going to desperately try to stay in control. They won't give up without a fight, but we have it. We will have this window of opportunity to catch this wave. And as materialism is taken from the populace, because the elite, remember, for the Black Lodge, it's never enough. They always need more power. They always need more, 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 more. It's, it's never enough. They're not, they're not satisfied with the current system. They always, they always want the new world order to consolidate more power and more people under their thumb. More power in their hand and more people under their thumb. But as they do that, the forces of light, the army of world salvation, the, the, the servants and messengers and vessels of the White Lodge get in a position of ever greater advantage over the adversary. Because when you take away from someone anything and everything and they and they've got nothing left to hold on to to cling to they're at the they're at the end of their rope that that is the opportunity to turn to that individual and say why don't why don't you cry why don't you give a cry out for help why don't you turn to the, to the one who can help you and give you what these people can never take from you. Because materialism, because in essence, we all know because we're on the path that spirituality, awakening and self-realization is a process of psychological death. Psychological death is losing all of this impermanent stuff that that we identify with and we attach to that's what losing your life is we identify with this body and we're attached to this body we're attached to our 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 life our existence as a physical being death is the ultimate loss of materialism because you can't take it with you right but the ultimate thing that you that we're attached to is this physical physical thing. So, when someone undergoes a dramatic and possibly even traumatic loss of that which they are identified with and attached to, there's a window of opportunity there. There's a, there's a gap. There's there's something. There's a void that's left in their heart. Because there's, you know, it's it's kind of like, it's a very cathartic experience, right? To do a to do a spring cleaning, right? To go and you, you 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 throw away a whole bunch of junk that you had been hoarding, right? And you clear up the space, and all of a sudden you feel lighter. You've you're, you've you've unburdened yourself from a whole bunch of 
stuff. So as the global elite move on their big picture plan to consolidate their power, to consolidate the control, to consolidate their ownership of material reality and take it away from humanity, that humanity will be poised, will be in this incredible position, this incredible opportunity to receive in place of that which they have lost, receive something new. I am lost, but now I am found. Right? That, that's which, and, and not only that, but receive something which nobody can take away from them. Something which is not impermanent. Something which is eternal. This, you see now, how the Black Lodge, even in its blind self-interest, is playing right into the hands of the White Lodge in this instance. But we have to be ready. We have to see it. We have to know that this is what's playing out. Remember, when you play chess, your ability to defeat your opponent is at least 50% reliant on your opponent's moves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? But this is the beauty of it. This is the genius of it. The Black Lodge ultimately works for the White Lodge. Even though the agents of the Black Lodge won't admit to that <laughs> or, or won't, don't, won't realize that, can't, can't, can't process that even for themselves. Death and birth are two sides of the same coin. If you lose every, and believe me, I've been there, right? I've been there. I know from experience, self-evident experiential knowledge, I know it's possible. I know it's possible. I've been there. I've done it. Where I've lost everything. I lost everything. I don't own anything except the computer I'm talking to you on. <laughs> I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I live well below the poverty line. <laughs> yes, yeah, same here. Right? But but the pro I was at one time the 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 vice president of a publicly traded internet company. <laughs> we were a strategic partner with IBM. I've come a long way this way. <laughs> And, and along the lines, along the way, I had to go th suffer through the, my, my medical condition of epilepsy and everything else and had holes drilled in my head and the whole, the whole nine yards. But it was, it's not until I hit rock bottom, until I had exhausted all of my worldly capabilities and they had all, they had all led into dead ends and disaster and, and when, I tr when you truly hit rock bottom and everything has been taken from you and you're this close to losing your agency and even a 
a quarter of your brain. You're this close to losing a quarter of your brain because that's how close I came. Because that's what my neurologist said they were going to do was give me a partial frontal lobectomy and cut out a quarter of my brain and we'll give you 50-50 odds of curing your epilepsy. Ah, I'll take it under advisement, I said. It's not, that's not good odds. for. That's not, not good odds, no. Nope, nope. And uh, the still soft voice said, there's another way. There's another way. And I said, I, it's a big decision. I, I got to sleep on it. And I came home and I was at the end of my rope. This, I, this, was, this was Canada's top epilepsy neurologist can it was a part of london uh london health sciences university hospital he's on they were on the cutting edge of epilepsy research and surgery and and everything else there was no other place in this country i could turn to in the allopathic healthcare system for help i had already been i'd, I'd, I'd gone up the up the ranks up the ranks i finally got to number one and this is the best they could offer me. And so I came home and I turned on the computer and I opened up Google and I bowed my head and I prayed like I'd never prayed before. And what I prayed was, okay, uh, clearly I'm not qualified. I'm at the end of my rope. I've exhausted all of my worldly abilities. I've exhausted all of materialist science that's available to me and allopathic medicine. And I've gone to the best of the best and the smartest of the smartest. And I've, and I've, I'm at my wits end. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm, I'm, I'm backed up against the edge of a cliff here. So clearly I'm not qualified. So you guide me, you tell me what to do, you show me what to do, and I promise I will do it. And if you get me out of this epilepsy thing, I will dedicate and devote my life to you to the end of my days. Because as far as I'm concerned, my life is yours from this point forward. If you save my life, because my life is this close to being over, they're going to cut out my brain, for God's sake. You know, I mean, so if you save me and get me back on track, then obviously that track belongs to you. And this train is, is belongs to you. I'm going to be your vehicle. So I'm going to follow your track. Just tell me what to type into Google. I've got the, 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 if, it, if it exists in the world... I can find it. Just tell me what to type. And he said, type, and he said, type diet, epilepsy, lifestyle. And I typed it in up to 250,000 hits. And I'm like, oh God. And then relax, relax. It's still soft voice, right? The intuition, relax, relax. Just scroll down. And I scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and page two and scrolled. And I stopped, click that one. And I clicked it and up came, up came, um, dogtorj.com dogtorj.com this is what came up oh hang on a second 
Why can't I? Uh, why can't I show it? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, there, there. Dogtorj.com, home of the guard. Food intolerance in pets and their people. You're saying, what the hell does this have to do with anything? <laughs> I kind of was saying the same thing, except I wasn't. This is this fellow is uh, Dr. John B. Symes. By the way, if his uh, if his website looks old, it's because it hasn't changed <laughs> since I looked at it. Uh, what what fifteen years ago? And um, and the guard is a glutamate aspartate restricted diet. The uh, non-essential is, um, amino acids, glutamic acid and aspartic acid and how they are excitotoxins and how they contribute to uh, autism spectrum disorders. And um, Dr. John B. Symes have, has cured tens of thousands of animals. By now, it's probably in the hundreds of thousands of animals. And he has treated thousands of people with his diet uh, of autism spectrum disorders. He cured his own fibromyalgia with the uh, with the guard and uh he's also helped people with add adhd schizophrenia autism depression um anxiety anything and everything on the autism spectrum um because of the this is an elimination diet if you eliminate these uh these excitotoxins and i put myself on the diet the next day my seizures stopped the next day so And from this point forward, from that point forward, I, I, as, as I promised, as I, as I stated, I said, look, I'm not qualified to live this life and overcome these challenges that, um, that I'm facing. So, um, you know, I put it in your hands. Um, and if you get me out of this epilepsy thing, then I will be your servant to the end of my days because clearly you are qualified and he got me uh atlas got me over my epilepsy and i've been serving atlas ever since and slowly becoming atlas um <clears throat> because i died that day in front of that computer when i was praying you know my my life is no longer mine my life is yours and this is this is that glorious miraculous transition that can happen to people when they lose everything and when they hit rock bottom when they're end of the when they're at their end of the rope and they admit to themselves you know i i'm clearly i'm not i'm not doing you know there's i'm not qualified clearly because things aren't going well for me and there's nothing that i seem to do that seems to be able to go right that seems so so you know so you guide me you show me the way and show me a sign give me a sign that if i follow you it's going to work out for me and it's going to work out the best for everybody and that's exactly what happened it was self-evident and over time i my neurologist was observing me on this diet 
and he watched my my uh, EEGs progressively get better and better and better and better and better until there were no spikes. There was no signs of epilepsy whatsoever on when he was did when he did, did his tests. I got my driver's license back. I don't have a car, but I have my but I but I could drive. I have my driver's license. I got my life back. But that life is not mine anymore. Because everything that I've ever wanted to do in the deepest, you know, the deepest part of my heart, what I've always wanted to do, was never for me to do. It was always for me to serve. It was always for Atlas to do through me. And that's where I've been living in that place for a long time now. That's what I'm doing right now, here and now. <clears throat> and that's what I'm working on this video. And that's the message that I will be putting into book form, into other forms, and getting it out into the world, and planting the seeds so that when the time comes, when the world has all of its material attachments taken away from them, A good many of them, we hope, if depending on how how well we can reach them and how well we can get through to them, for a great many, it'll be no loss. And for a great many more, it'll be a rock-bottom moment. It'll be a traumatic moment, a losing, a sort of little death that will be an opportunity for us to strike while the, high, the iron is hot and say, oh, materialism has abandoned you? Materialism has been taken away from you? Would you like to look at an alternative? The global elite are offering you an alternative. Social credit, blah, 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 rental, whatever. You know, it's going to be very easy for us to blow holes in, in that offering. It'll be no tr trouble at all. But we'll be able to offer them an alternative. And we will have an international network of partners and collaborators who have coalesced to form a cellular network of solutions and partners and, uh, and in delivering this series of alternative solutions And people will be free to choose. And there'll be many who will go with the globalists and the elites, uh, social credit system, et cetera, et cetera. But there will be many who choose another way, an, al an alternative to that. <clears throat> A metaphysical path. And metaphysical science. And... a expression of spirituality which is as secular as we can make it and which is, has as little baggage associated with it and as little connection as we can manage to the uh, degenerated religions of the, of the past we have to be we have to think practically we have to think about efficiency 
and we have to think about productivity and what was of the delivery of messages and solutions and practical ways in which we will prepare this humanity for the crossing over into the next humanity. So we've done this before and you know when they talk about Atlantis they talk about Atlantis being an advanced civilization and and being uh, more advanced than our civilization um, this great reset in this 2030 2040 time frame this is this humanity's last gasp last chance to switch over and have the new world order be aligned with Aquarius and be closer in spirit and in practice to the new golden age than it is to the preceding iron age. And that's what the arc is. That's what the arc represents. Communities and, and small nations or nation states or pockets of resistance against the, the monolithic global elite socialist dystopian covidocracy we call it a covidocracy although it's going to be a monkeypox um it's going to be some other you know thing that they're going to convince everybody to be stay indoors with masks with uh with uh, injections and and stay at home and, and and be in the the metaverse their virtual reality right and then they can be medicated, right? All their medications be more efficient and more effective with a, an IV, right? So we'll plug, a, we'll plug a chip and a thing onto your head and then we'll plug something into your arm and your, your vaccines and everything will be delivered automatically over the airwaves because somebody will create this, this device like the Theranos uh, scam uh, 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 blood uh, measuring device, the the blood analysis device, which was a which is a, a great one of these one of these great scams from Silicon Valley, it was total bullshit. But I'm sure somebody is working on a device where it'll be like an like some like an inkjet printer, and it'll be I've literally have hundreds and hundreds of vials of chemicals in it, and whenever you need a drug, it'll just synthesize it with the correct ratio and add it into your IV drip. So you can stay in your metaverse with your virtual reality helmet. It'll be like Neo in the Matrix. But the actual like physical body of Neo <laughs> in the yeah. pod, right? Um, so that will be doing whatever it's doing. And it'll go as it'll survive as 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 long as it, it survives but remember noah builds an ark and the ark is for the few it's just the way it is and um but there will be people coming from all over the world and there will be pockets of resistance and pockets of change and the thing is is that if these individuals they're, they're not doing all of this out of fear and they're actually connecting to their meta mind. They're actually meditating and 
practicing the alm of life and the alm of psychology and they're they're connecting to and they're tapping into metaphysical worlds and higher consciousness and their 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 true selves their innermost being and they're becoming true human beings then the art they create the philosophy that they live by the the technology that they will have at their disposal the intelligentsia that will be afforded to them will be so far and away and above that of the ruling elite and its drones its 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 useful idiots and its robotic uh, enforcement officers and its military drones and all this kind of shit we will be able to do we will be able to run circles around their primitive 3d based materialist scientific technology because we will be working with metaphysical science we will have we will have technology of the superior dimensions <clears throat> so it will be in many ways kind of like wakanda only it's not a substance vibranium which is going to give us all of these magical abilities <clears throat> it's metamind it's consciousness it's metaphysical reality it's knowledge which is going to and the more that people that are plugged into that socialist dystopian matrix the more they're exposed to metaphysical reality and the benefits that come with being a true human being and not part of the hive mind there will be people uh dissidents and it will be a whole it would be it'll be just like during the cold war the dissidents from the former soviet union crossing the iron curtain into the west coming over the wall in berlin into the west to freedom to escape the tyranny the socialist nightmare of the eastern bloc i know because my parents were a part of that great vast migration but it was a migration of one person at a time you couldn't even go two people at a time because it was too suspicious my father and my mother newlyweds they had to cross over into austria two different times in two different places because if they would have tried to gone together then the officials would have known that they're trying to um <clears throat> escape so the <clears throat> the forces that are aligning and that are uh, in motion for the fall of the capitalist system and the 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 economics and the, the the forces that are at play to establish this new world order um 
again, because those forces, those elites, it's not enough what they have right now. They want it all. They want everything. They want to be the new feudal lords and they want everybody to be beholden to them. <clears throat> so, so their plan is, well, the masses will own nothing and they will be happy. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And we will arrange that. What they see as their biggest strength, what they see as their ace in the hole, that will finally get them back to where they were at the time of the Caesars and at the time of the Dark Ages, which was really the golden age for the Black Lodge. If you think about it, the Dark Ages was like the golden age for the Black Lodge. And, yeah. and, and now you, you might, well, it would have to be, if you count the Dark Ages beginning with like uh, the latter uh, years of the Roman Empire during its decline. So with like the rise of uh, Caesars like Caligula and, you know, and so on. Like that's really when it began, right? And then they had this golden age of just absolute tyranny. I mean, it's called the Dark Ages for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but they it's realized you, it's interesting you raise that because it was the total suppression of knowledge that and that's and that's what that and that and the church was the instrument of it at the time and that's what went around and burned all the books and you know the gnostic sects they were all put to the stake in the same period as a result because they opposed the church doctrine yeah or they and, could uh, be poisoned like socrates and sometimes they didn't even use poison to kill a person. No, they wanted to make it public. Yeah, exactly. No, they, so they, burned, they... they burned them as heretics or they crucified them. They, they wanted to um, remember that, uh, that spectacle. Black Lodge... Uh, remember we talked about identifying a demon and, and some of their modus operandi. Well, one of the things is that even though they like to operate in a, in a clandestine way, they have these front men, right? At the same time that they secretly, in the back rooms, they operate in, in secrecy in a clandestine way, they, they love making a big show of things. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's this spectacle. It's this... You know, and, and there's this great line. There's this great line from Gladiator. It's one of the senators, Senator Gracchus, speaking to another senator. Um, he says, fear and wonder. It's a powerful combination. It's a powerful cocktail. Yeah. Control the people. Fear and wonder. Well, you fear what you don't know, right? So what's going on in the shadows, what's going on behind closed doors and secret meetings by the secret cabals that you've never seen of or heard of, or right? That's the, that's the fear. And then the wonder, 
right? Is the spectacle, the distraction, the, the misdirection, right? Yeah. And it's this double, it's, they use both, right? They use I both. Know the, I know the one that really solidified that for me was, and this was a few years back, but at, at the um, VMA Awards, I think it was, Katy Perry did a performance of one of the real dark songs, and it was on the 700th anniversary of Jack Demolay, the head of the Templar Order's execution, <laughs> and they're celebrating it. And because normally they've never used, like on her, she's got the Templar cross and everything, and then there's witch sticks and she gets burnt. <laughs> and, it's, yeah. and it's seven, 700 years later, it's being celebrated. And it's like, why are that, why is that being injected into a music video in the 21st century? Yeah. Because, very interesting. Very interesting. Because, uh, have you heard of cancel culture? Yep. Okay. So that's all part and parcel and goes together with cancel culture, which cancel culture is the modern day equivalent of excommunication. It's a public it's, but it's, or, or a, a modern day equivalent of uh, crucifixion or, uh, or uh, a, a burning because um, it, in the, uh, in the show game of Thrones, there's the scene where she has to do the walk of shame. She has to, you know, she has to walk naked through the town. And there's a nun behind her banging a gong and, and saying, shame, shame. And she's, she's naked, right? She's, she's, she's exposed. And the whole town, the whole city comes out to pelt her with, with rotten fruit and vegetables and, and, to, and to curse her and and everything else the same thing that they were doing to jesus as he was going on his on his uh he's carrying the cross up to calvary it's the same it's the, the same thing it's it's not enough for them to just get rid of an opponent it's they 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 want to turn it into this this public event where you have this outsider this uh, revolutionary or this heretic, whatever, whatever name th this um, they want to give to this outlaw, this um, rebel, or uh, you know troublemaker, um, seditionist, you know whatever, right? And then you they by making it this public shaming this public uh, spectacle they 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 give it they give the ritual so much more power so much more energy right because it's a black magic ritual it's pride is ego right shame is ego so when you have literally hundreds of people in the ancient world or thousands or in this case millions of people shaming one another on social media in cancel culture you're feeding pride you're feeding ego and you're using this 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 symbol of of uh of fear this troublemaker this this thorn in the side you know the 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 fly in the ointment, right? It's just, it's, 
you you turn this uh, this individual that's just trying to be an individual, right? But it's not he's not fitting in with the hive. He's not he's not a good ant who's part of the colony, right? So you have to make an example out of them, and then you 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 give the people the satisfaction of feeding their own pride in being sheep by crucifying, by shaming and crucifying a sheepdog or indeed a shepherd. Like it's a very, it's a, it's a very powerful, twisted reverse psychology because if, for example, you're one of the addicted, okay, addiction is self-loathing, and you're addicted to television, and you're addicted to politics, and you're addicted to um, religion, you know, your mega church, or your, your superstitions, your superficial literal understandings, your religious dogma, and your beliefs, it's all an addiction, you have internal self-loathing, so you cling to, you identify and attach yourself to these things. And but secretly, deep down, you have doubt. Doubt is a is a product of consciousness. Doubt is an aspect of consciousness. You don't really know, right? Dogmas and beliefs and superstitions and television and and the, the, the television news and the mainstream media and the mainstream narratives, you, you know, you nod your head and yeah, 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 yeah. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe. You go with it, but deep down, you don't really know. You have doubt, and that doubt creeps in and creeps in and creeps in. So what do you? So what do you have to do? You have to shove that doubt back in its place somehow. You have to affirm the false self and all of its false beliefs and the false icons that it worships, the, the false idols that it worships, right? The idols of nationalism, of government, of, of pop stars, of sports stars, movie stars, politicians. These are all false, these are all false idols evangelists, televangelists, the Pope. So, and then if you're in the new age, you're affirming yourself. I am this, I am that, I am pure power, I am God incarnate, I, 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 I. And what is one of the best ways to affirm the false self? To give you a a target, a, a, um, a, a sacrificial lamb who is the antithesis of that false self and that has been branded and tarred and feathered and discredited and shamed and belittled and shown to be a, a charlatan and a boogeyman, and a con man, 
right? He's a false prophet. And you bring you bring all these these people. You give them an opportunity to literally stone their true self to death. A public stoning, right? You put the condemned there. Everybody can come. Everybody comes and brings a rock with them, and everybody can can play a role in their execution. That's brilliant. It's genius. Is that is that not what Twitter's become? It's exactly what that's exactly what we're saying. It's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. That's what cancel Elon, culture is. That's what Twitter is. That's what yeah. social media is. And Elon's Elon's trying to get Trump to come back, <laughs> but he's he's not taking the bait at the moment. It's, I think that's uh, a smart move on his part. But you, but but you see you see where we're coming you see where we're coming from here. What how powerful yeah. that public execution is, and making it making it a uh, an interactive uh, 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 group group activity group participation. Because the symbolism of that is that the like you said the public shaming. Of there's there's an individual that represents a true human being, and here the masses have an opportunity to basically um, execute their the living incarnation, the living embodiment of their own innermost being. There's no. More, there's no more powerful way to affirm the false self than to participate in the persecution and the destruction of a true human being. This is why socialism, you observe that all socialism or fascism all cults and cult-like uh, groups, all focus on having some sort of scapegoat group that represents a kind of antichrist uh, group that's the cause of all of their pro problems and suffering. And it, and it's this this crystal focus, uh, and usually it's against. Well, it's against different groups for different reasons, but this us and them, uh, you know, divide and conquer, right? This this us and them playing out, where you affirm this person's commitment to the movement, to the cult, to the hive mind. And you give them, you give them that feeling of importance, that feeling of power and that feeling of everything as the, as you give them a sacrificial lamb that is a symbol of their own innermost, which is crying out to them to leave that cult and leave that, and abandon that dogma and abandon that 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 hive mind. Right? And so the easiest way to suppress that voice inside, that 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 cricket, 
right? Our conscience. The easiest way to suppress that is to burn Pinocchio. To burn Pinocchio at the stake. You know, the little puppet, he's trying to be a real boy. Let's burn him. That way, I can feel good about myself as a wooden puppet, happy and content being a wooden puppet. So this is where we're headed. I mean, it's, it's been prophesied that Gnostics are going to have to go underground. And there may come a time in the future that I might have to erase all these videos from YouTube. And any and all, but that's one of the reasons why in the material that I'm creating now, I don't use the word Gnosis. And that's why I don't go around beating my chest and calling myself a card-carrying member of the, you know, Gnostics or whatever. What difference does it make? Self-evident experiential knowledge, that's that which we seek on the path. Love is severity and mercy. That's, you know, these, these are universal axioms. Be a, be a cyclist, be a tugboat. These are, these are, these are, nobody can attribute these to any religion. Nobody can attribute these to any group or any movement or any cult. Nobody can call me a cult leader. I don't have any followers. I don't have any money. I don't have any money. I don't have a compound. I don't have anything. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Arrest me for making videos with Theodore Tugboat and bicycles and, you know, and quoting Einstein and Emerson? Is that what you're going to do? Well, you can go ahead and do it if you want. But people are going to start, people are going to wonder what, what the hell is going on. How is that dangerous? How is that seditious? <laughs> And that's kind of the point. It's kind of the point. Because I'm aware of all of this. Right? And I and remember that uh, if it's true that Gnostics are going to be persecuted, Gnostics never went away. They were always there. They just hid the teachings in plain sight. And the White Lodge is hiding, is, has been hiding the teachings in plain sight for decades. Decades and nobody, nobody, well, let's say nobody, very, 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 very few people have bothered to even look, let alone start unpacking all the different places and all the different ways in which the teachings are there. But that percentage is increasing, and that's one thing I noticed with Kurt with the lockdowns. When people had time to look at, when people had time to actually think and look at this stuff they did and more and more people are starting to look at different ideas look at different ways of th ways thing things are and even though they're back into it it's not like it was before because this there's there's more and more growing percentage of people that are saying no this this is not what it appears and it shocks me how many people actually know. When you say the Great Reset, or other people bring it up, 
and it's like oh this is pretty widely known now like you know what was it agenda 21 that was what it was called what 10 years ago but now it's the great reset and but back then nobody knew about agenda 21 but now then they know about the great reset which is well the great reset is the great reset is they've been they've been talking openly about it um, and, and, but when you were mentioning there about, um, about COVID and people were in lockdowns, the more, it wasn't just that they had time on their hands. They had time to themselves and they had time to act on this strange feeling that they had, that something's just not right. And then when, you know, the lockdowns came and this freedom was taken away and this imposition was placed on them and, and like the more that the authorities closed in, the more they overplayed their hand, the more people started looking intuitively at alternatives or at the real story. What's, what's really going on? What's really behind all of this? And when someone puts themselves in the, what's really going on be beneath the surface or behind the curtain, when someone starts aligning themselves and putting themselves in that frame of mind, even if it is only a mental construct at that point, it doesn't matter. They are attuning themselves uh, archetypally to the search for the esoteric, the search for the esoteric truth, because esoteric simply means hidden. And this is the, um, the phenomenon that you were mentioning there, Blake, is that is that no matter who they were, or no, or no matter what side of the, you know, uh, vaccine not vaccine line or whatever they fell on, it didn't matter. They could see that there was something else going on. It wasn't just as simple as what the what Dr. Fauci was saying. And so, again, doubt is a faculty of consciousness. And when you allow doubt to creep in, doubt is what drives us to seek the truth beyond the surface. Because we doubt what's on the surface. And doubt is a powerful feeling. It's a powerful nagging. We don't, we don't like that doubt. It's an empty space waiting to be filled, looking to be filled. So we seek the self-evident experiential knowledge, which can fill it and remove all doubt, satisfy our doubt. So, ah, okay, now I know. What's really going on? 
Now I no longer have to doubt the surface. Now I just know that the surface is bullshit because now I've penetrated into the depths. I've removed all doubt and all that's left is knowledge. And then we go on to the next discovery, the next exploration, the next wall, the next surface level thing that we encounter that we feel doubt towards, we sense it. And then we, again, go through the same process. So again, what's coming, this COVID stuff, 2008 and now this COVID stuff, all of this was, you know, just trial runs. They were, they were, they were massive global experiments. They've been done before, Spanish flu, right? And polio, and like they've been done before, but they wanted to see in the modern context and they're getting ready for the big one. And the reason why it's 2030, because, hey, they crashed the stock market in 1929. And there was another major event in 1902, which, will, which 138 years from 1902 will be 2040. And that's why, but that number, the, the 138 is, um, <clears throat> it's been called the, the Phoenix Interval. And 138 is encoded into the Great Pyramid of Giza. And so that's where I get the 2040 that coincides with the 2030. So the thing that they're going to bring, they're going to bring it to bear in 2030, just like they did, they crashed in 1929. And then that, that triggered the Great Depression. Well, what they're going to do now in 2030 is going to trigger the Great Reset and in the decade between 2030 and 2040, that's our window of opportunity. That's when all, everything's going to be up in the air. All these traditional things, all these traditional players, all these establishments and authorities, and the way things are, and people's attachments and 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 you know to their and their their grounding in physical reality and their material wealth and their material ownership of things and all. All of this is going to be upheaval. That's it's going to be truly, truly an expression of the Aquarian age. It's going to be an incredible, unprecedented decade of change, of turbulence, of volatility. And in that chaos, because it's chaos, okay, there's two forms of chaos. There's positive chaos and there's negative chaos. There's the upward spiral and the downward spiral, right? And so we want to be able to move in the midst of that hurly-burly, which is a great word from Shakespeare, uh, as Lear on the Heath, and in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that chaos and that confusion, we want to be able to move with the clarity and the flexibility of, of a master dancer, of a master swordsman, and and roll with the punches and and go with the flow and 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 ride this chaotic turbulent nebulous um uh vortex of change 
And in that process, the establishment, the elites, they will try to set up and establish and win, you know, people to their hive mind, socialist, dystopian, whatever that we've talked about. And then we want to be there for those who, who know and who see, who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. We want to present them with the viable alternative. Yeah. Now, it's going to be another camp. We should emphasize this. There's going to be another camp. And um, that camp, uh, you know the type. We've talked about them before. Uh, they're going to be the ones, they're going to be the, um, the, the psychedelic taking pot smoking uh intentional community uh off-grid living uh permaculture shamanism native spirituality going off into the mountains into the woods into log cabins you know to, to live on their own in their so-called intentional communities and or by themselves yeah I mean, the Black Lodge has done it before as well. Sorry? Like the, yeah, the Black Lodge has uh, also done the same things in the past. Oh, well, it's, it's all, this, is, this, is, this will also be the Black Lodge. Yeah. But it will be, but it will be, it'll be a different aspect. Yeah. It'll be the aspect that is giving uh, these humanoids that are giving themselves back to mechanical nature. Yeah. And uh, if you want the evidence that this has happened in the past, uh, go and look to any Aboriginal, Aboriginal or native community uh, living anywhere in the world. Do not believe for a second what the anthropologists will tell you that those so-called humans have always lived that way. They have not. Their ancestors were once members of high civilizations. They gave themselves back to nature and they've been living their subsistence existence and their uh, paganism and nature idolatry and, uh, and their uh, shamanism and their um, uh, reliance on uh, substances, psychedelics, and so on and so forth. And uh, you can see it today. You can yeah. see the forces at work today. Ask yourself why why uh, tattoos and piercings have become the order of the day when those are the two most common forms of self-expression in Aboriginal communities and primitive, primitive, primitive tribes around the world. It's three things they do to their bodies. Piercings, tattoos, and scarring. 
oh yes and they'll do the loops and the in the ears and but I, I consider that part of piercing yeah um the other thing they do is they all jump up and down to the beat of a drum to varying different degrees the communal beating of the drum and the, the communal dance around the beating of the drum now the sufis also do this but the difference between the sufis and the the natives is that sufis have a dervish in the middle and the Sufis connect with one another and form a, ch a chain, an energetic chain. And the dervish is a focal point and focuses that energy and knows how to direct it consciously. So the dances of the, uh, the Sufis is metaphysical science related to the expansion of consciousness and the awakening and self-realization of the being the jumping up and down to the beat of the drum to the beat of mother nature's the, the heart the beating heart of mother nature is just part of lower nature idolatry the worship of mechanical nature and the worship of one's ancestors the memory of one's ancestors and so on and so forth uh so we can see all of it because look at the clubs, right? Look at the so-called music that they make today and what goes on in clubs. If not people getting intoxicated on substances and jumping up and down to the beat, right? Take away the fancy lights, take away the fancy sound system, take away the club, put those same people Put them out in the middle of the woods around a fire with a with a, a deer skin drum and yeah. there's not much difference well look at burning man right look at you know the uh you know the do they have something equivalent in australia blake as the burning man festival do you know what i'm talking about no the i know what you're man. talking about yeah, I know what you're talking about. Now, probably the closest thing what they have over here is what we call bushdus, which is people go out, take take mushrooms, take psychedelic drugs, and they have these big. It's more of a modern thing, but they don't really have anything anything like what you describe. The Aboriginals do things, but it's not like a it's nothing nothing like that sort of thing. Well, well Burning Man is is not a uh it's not a native north american tradition or anything it's just something that uh it's just some hippies came up with or at some point and they just go isn't out it from isn't it from england originally it's it, it's a yeah. it's like a wiccan pagan yes i yeah, yeah i think you're right yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. they and they and they but they they just they set it up in the states but what it is is what it is is exactly as you describe it's like a a week-long festival it's a week-long excuse to go out in the middle of nowhere, take a bunch of drugs, and, and then burn these gigantic effigies, burn an effigy, these gigantic symbols of whatever. And some, things, some are symbols of fertility, some are symbols of abundance, some are symbols, and then some are, some are things that, uh, negative things that you, you are burning because you want to remove the negative energy of them from your life or from the world or whatever, whatever these... Uh, like it's, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a pagan ritual. Um, yeah, bush doofs are pretty much like it's the whole idea is you go out, go out one with nature. They have all the 
dubstep and all the loud music. I've been, I've been to one when I was much younger, but yeah, that's pretty much what the excuse is. Uh, Benjamin says, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> and he says, uh, he's also, says, they included primitive peoples in the uniting of religions to, to add to the uh, conversation the, or the conversation conversation. Um, so uh so this is what we're facing it's in this context that uh that really i've you know i've said this before our our life's work is really just beginning right we've been waiting our entire life for this truly um and and so that's why this uh this video that we've been working on is so important because it's so it's like a spearhead it's like it's it's like an announcement, um, but it's also the point, uh, a very like very sharp point that that underlines everything that we do. It's the focal point of everything that we're doing and everything that we, the other things that we're going to be discussing and revealing and introducing to the world is part of the Atlas Project, and um, and. Um, well, materialism, its day is done. It's not that <clears throat> people will not need material things moving forward. They will, because we have to be practical. But people's concept of what's important and what matters, uh, is completely going to change and it's going to change for the better and for the worse because on, but one but one way or another materialism is going to cease to be this humanity's primary focus in each of these three camps that we described there's going to be the dystopian, metaverse, uh, uh, pharma, neuropsychological, you know, hive mind thing that we've just that we've described the dystopian nightmare where everybody's at home in some kind of uh, you know some kind of zero gravity massage chair with a virtual reality headset. And uh, and you know complete with a uh, complete with um, with uh, 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 sexual stimulation massage for their pornographic uh, virtual reality simulations. Do you remember that movie Surrogates? You, Never saw that. Oh, That's is that with um, Bruce Willis and they're in the chair, but then they have the then they have the uh, people go out into the world, and it's it's pretty much they go around as a robot, but they're operating it from a chair at home. No, I didn't haven't haven't seen that. No, that's, that's an that. interesting that's an interesting one to watch because that's um, they're talking about the same thing. Talking about the same thing. Well, yes, yes, and well, it may there, there may be that aspect. You know, there may be that aspect. There there may be companies. There may be a service, for example, the mountain climbing subscription club, where you, Blake, and Azazel, and myself, from the comfort of our own home. We can put on our metaverse helmets and, and 
we can, the three of us, rent three uh, General Dynamics uh, military classification uh, robots to go, to go climb Mount Everest. And these robots would have GoPro cameras, you know, installed on, on you know, like on <clears throat> that we can control with our VR headset. And we might be able to virtually climb Mount Everest in real time with these robots. So there may be an element of that. I don't know. Don't ask me how much this would cost. But there may be an element of this. But mind you, with the, with the advancement in computer graphics and, and how quickly real-time computer graphics is going, It'll just make more sense for the three of us to go climb Mount Everest virtually. <clears throat> right? I know that. Yeah. But they have they have visualizers. Another one is Ready Player One. That's another movie that they're when that was Spielberg made that about four years ago. And that Yeah, I haven't seen that, that one either, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah. That's probably the more interesting one because they even the sexualized stuff that you talk about, that's <laughs> in that as well. So the guy He's in the virtual world. He wears a suit, and then he meets someone. You can, yeah, you can even have sensation and everything in it. That's um, that is very much uh, indicative of the the type of place this is all going. Well, I think as you did, you say last uh, the last one I was in the porn industry. As you said, that's what's going to drive a, a a lot of that is the uh, is the porn industry because. They'll have the money to find it. They'll they'll bankroll a lot of those sorts of technologies into it. Um, it was for a while. It was for a while, but um, the uh, the video game, the triple A video game industry, has overtaken it. <clears throat> video games now dwarf film and music and cinema combined interactive and and mobile games dwarf traditional video gaming so console and pc games are dwarfed three to one by the mobile gaming space so the um the amount of money that is going into the tech, the development of these technologies and the development of the acquisition of uh, skill sets and capacities to generate content for the new metaverse is priority number one like content is king as they like to say um <clears throat> and interactive content is by far and away the number one most sought after commodity in any non-material based business well i think they're even put that way uh, there are even crypto projects that are developing like in-game currencies and 
all the meta, the things things of this nature where basically uh, this is what the, in the movie Ready Player One like he he's got money he's got no money he's living in a in a trailer but then he becomes then he finds there's a quest so it's got a bit of an esoteric element to it the movie it's it's got it's got some good archetypical stuff in the story but in it he he finds the first part that nobody can so then he gets a lot of money as a result and so he can then buy things in the real world because he now has this money in the game. So it's all tied, it's all interlinked. It's, it's a very interesting movie to watch. Um, I will give it a watch. I've, I, was, uh, I heard mixed things about it. I thought I got the gist of it, but I'll, I'll, um, I will uh, give it a watch. It wasn't directed by Steven Spielberg. Just one of the main reasons why I stayed away from it. It was only produced. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah, okay. it wasn't directed yeah. by him. But um, but I I just anyway so I'll give it a I'll give it a, a watch. Uh, just just it gives you a good insight into where they're trying to go with it. That's that's how well, I, I look at it. Well, yeah, but I mean anything that's in that movie is drawn mostly on what's already taking yeah. place. No, yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Because um, especially in the mobile space, the uh, the 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 in-game currencies and the being able to cash out for real cash and and buy in-game currency with real cash that's a line that's that's that was crossed a long time ago and that's one of the reasons why mobile the mobile gaming space is so lucrative and why it dwarfs the the regular gaming space is because i mean games like candy crush are just absolute cash cows um that whole that whole uh developer that publisher uh, king out of china that did candy crush and did these other these other games they they just they rake in tens of billions of dollars a year at just these little stupid little games that people play on the subway or on the bus or whatever right or in or in class when they don't want to pay attention or when they're sitting on the toilet like I mean, and, yeah, and and just you know a dollar here, a dollar there. But these games aren't played by millions of people. Some of them are not even played by hundreds of millions of people. Some of these games are built played by billions of people. <laughs> I'm glad I never cross cross that threshold. I ne I never really got into you know mobile games. It's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's just another thing to take away from your time from productive things and even video. But I think is that is that not what the goal is with all the metaverse stuff? It's to detract us from the real world and our real selves. It's it's that's the goal. The ultimate goal of the metaverse is to uh, basically um, put people under house arrest. And by the way, it's going to be very easy for them to do once they combine it with a monkeypox pandemic. Right, they, because because they've already done it. They've already shown that you can do lockdowns and everything, and that most people will will uh, obey. Most people will comply. So when you then give them a whole bunch of interactive content, and you have a way for them to go out and meet each other and work and play and blah 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 and go to go to meetings and get-togethers and all this kind of stuff and have like massive online orgies and stuff and. You know, and and uh, but you know, but you can't actually do it in real life because of monkeypox. Well, look, it's a it's a it's a double whammy, right? So of course that's what they want to do. They want to, you know, they and so 
Um, look, it's again, that's one thing that's going to be happening. The other thing that's going to be happening is people who are going to be giving themselves back to nature and they're going to be, they're going to be throwing away their cell phones. They're going to be, you know, unplugging from the network and unplugging from the grid and, un, you know, and they're going to be all about going back to nature and being one with nature and nature, 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 nature. That's what they're going to be all about and doing things and self-sufficiency and all the rest of it and more power to them. And they're going to be the Aboriginal peoples in the next humanity and the next golden, silver, bronze, and iron age. They will, they will be the, the really, really old Aboriginal peoples that people will say, Oh, they've lived like that for 20,000 years. No. <laughs> and the Aboriginal peoples of today will continue their devolutionary arc. And those that survive will do so, will do so only by means of giving into their most primal animal instincts. So when you see the baboons, and, or sorry, not the baboons, the orangutans and the, uh, the, the, the giant gorillas and the chimpanzees of today, you're looking at, you're looking at um, descendants of human beings from the past, human beings who gave themselves back to nature. This is the this is where the evolutionary this is where the devolutionary arc along the path of giving yourself back to nature takes you. Your descendants will become more and more and more identified and attached to mechanical nature and as as they as a, a tribe as a species as an isolated uh, uh, species become more and more under threat of various different environmental and other threats, they will double down on their animal primal instincts because it's the ego that's driving them into that off-grid place and it's you know, their identification with mechanical nature, it's taking them there. And they will continually double down and double down and triple down and quadruple down on that strategy. And as they do so, like like chimpanzees today, right? Chimpanzees that, like uh, uh, we've, we've said so often, we've used this uh, derogatory term, um, Jane Goodall, that, that blonde whore, who convinced the world that chimpanzees are chimpanzees are our cousins? And oh my God, isn't that beautiful? Uh, well, first of all, a chimpanzee will tear a human being limb from limb. They're that strong. And the fact that we share so much DNA and blah 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 and this and that and oh and Jane Goodall can like do sign language with them or you know whatever. Uh, that's just proving the point. This is not something to be celebrated. Right, our 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 similarities with chimpanzees is not something to be celebrated. That is that is mental illness. That is an obsession 
That is an identification and an attachment to the animal self, which is precisely what here, what we here as human beings are trying to evolve out of. And then you have someone like Jane Goodall glorifying and romanticizing, oh, our connection to chimpanzees. Well, uh, there are there are aspects of this humanity. There are people, tribes, in this humanity who will be facing chimpanzees mano a mano in a way they never imagined in the coming years and decades from now. And those chimpanzees will be eating them for lunch, literally. Literally. Because once they no longer have guns and they no longer have ammunition and they no longer have you know, any of the other technology tools available to them, uh, an adult male chimpanzee will tear a human being apart limb from limb. And chimpanzees are carnivores. They're omnivores, of course, but they, will, they eat meat. They prefer meat. And rest assured, they have killed and they do kill people. And they have killed people and they have eaten people. And just go and talk to people in Africa. So, okay, some um, comments here. I read in the hypostasis of the Archons, the rulers wanted the people to be constantly distracted because they don't want people to have time with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, another way to say that is to keep them in the false self, to keep them enslaved. Because the Holy Spirit, right, the, the higher self, the true self, the consciousness and beyond is what liberates you from that. So yeah, you keep them distracted. Remember fear and wonder. Keep them afraid and distracted and you keep them under control. Moreover, they threw human beings into great distraction and into a life of toil so that their human beings might be occupied by worldly affairs and might not have the opportunity of being devoted to the Holy Spirit. Now, this whole thing about a life of toil. What that means is a life of... Uh, meaningless work. So toil uh, is like enslavement, servitude, but but for example, um, Charlie Chaplin's movie Modern Times. Right? Uh, like anybody working on an assembly line. Try to find the meaning and purpose in in your assembly line job or your fast food job or right so that's that's toil but that doesn't mean that uh, true human beings don't work that you know we work we have we toil but it's just that we do the work gu guided by the holy spirit we do the work as god we do the work of the holy spirit and we do the work with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes through our work into the world. 
very different from the life of toil that's designed for us by the Black Lodge. Yeah, assembly line jobs. The, the, the erosion and, and attempt to outright destroy and eradicate mastery. You know, the master blacksmith, the master baker, the master bricklayer, the master whatever, the master mason. Um, if you can turn labor into another commodity, you commoditize labor, then you've eliminated, all but eliminated pride of work, pride of worksmanship. And, and you've created meaningless toil. And so after a long day of meaningless toil, you know, people are, are tired and are exhausted. And so what do you, you know, they, they, they just want to, you know, rest and relax. And, but they, but they need something of meaning, something of value, something of something. So then you give them the idiot box, right? So they plop themselves down in front of the television with a bag of potato chips or a bucket of ice cream. And we're as guilty as anyone on the, on the ladder, by the way. <laughs> I'm not, you know, we're, we're just as guilty as anyone when it comes to this junk food stuff. One of the worst, one of the worst things we have um, is our um, uh, licorice, but not licorice, not just any licorice, but um, ice cream, licorice, basically. Uh, ice cream and licorice, not, not, not together, not combined. No, no, no. no. But, uh, but we have this uh, licorice called nibs mm. and they're called super nibs. They're not, they're not Twizzlers, right? They're not twisted. They're solid. Yeah. It's strange. And they're cherry flavored which is like our worst thing. Like that's our favorite fruit is cherry. So cherry flavored for whatever reason, they made junk food, like fake cherry flavor is like, mm -hmm. it's like bang on. It's like, it's, it's, it's terribly, terribly uh, addictive and tasty. So anyway, um, anyway, more, more, more confessions next week. Um, so <laughs> Benjamin says, yes, that is true. And it seems that the society they are designing, as you described, will be total enslavement through their technological wonders, i.e. metaverse, similar to what ancient Gnostics have written about. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, um, I'm not even sure what ancient Gnostics were, were talking about here because I don't remember uh, uh, reading about the metaverse anywhere, but I do know that I've written about it. Um, and my blog and uh and i've seen it and of course we've seen it in movies we've seen it in, in movies and um the matrix is the is the for me anyway it's the it's the gold standard of talking about the uh, the plight of humanity and um because the matrix not only shows us the future but it shows us the here and now because in the matrix, the AI are what enslave humanity. And the beauty of that is, is that that as it's, it's also a science, it's a, it's a science fiction about the near future enslavement of, of humanity to this virtual reality called the matrix. But the genius of making it the AI that do that is that it puts it into the here and now because the egos are a kind of AI. They're a digital mechanical phenomenon. 
the AI, the, the egos inside of us behave much the same way as the agents in the matrix do, or as the Merovingian, or as any of the other programs in the matrix seem to behave. Very self-centered and, and, and um, uh, driven by blind self-interest. <clears throat> and then you have Smith, who seems to be the ultimate expression of this. <clears throat> but when you talk about the Merovingian as it, it, in the movies, mm -hmm. isn't that, I always, like that character to me just comes across as like, it's an embodiment of the elite. What they're, talk, what they're talking about with that one character. Like Smith's, Smith's a whole other concept. But when they talk about the Merovingian, how he like hacks the system, but then he's above the system. That's, that's the part I find very interesting with that character. Yeah, so, so you know, the, but... To me, the Merovingian is a demon. So there are living demons. So if you want to see him as an elite, then that's fine. But he's in the Matrix. No, I get, I get you. That's even deeper, but no, that makes that makes even more sense. That and um, sense. and you see, he has minions, right? He has lesser demons that work for him. And then he has this, uh, you know, the the blonde woman, and then he delivers this piece of cake to the blonde woman, and it's like. It's very, obviously, look, as above, so below. So obviously, there's an, there's an analog here, and there's a relationship between demons that behave this way and elite that behave this way, because the elite that this behave this way are possessed by demons. Right? I mean, you can't have someone behave that way in real life and be, an, and be a true person human being and be a normal person right it's cause and effect i mean the merovingian himself is the one who delivers the law of karma the law of cause and effect he is the one that delivers that exposition to our hero well you're right it's like one of it's like one of your memes that you that you did where you've got like the scale of the material possession and once people accumulate all this stuff and they accumulate the billions of dollars and then they get more and more into that scale where they can just have whatever they want and they get more into, as you're saying, demonic things that it just totally consumes them. Because as, well, you said earlier, the Black Lodge, it's never, one thing's never enough for anyone that's participating in that sort of stuff. They just want more and more and more. Yeah, so, but the, the question is, is it the more and more and more and more that causes them to be that way? Or is it something in them which causes them to accumulate more and more and more and more? It Causing is obviously something inside them, yeah, that makes them take, like, a threshold step, so to speak, and from that point on it just grows and grows it, obviously there's there's the downward spiral like for example there's a, there's a, this there's this expression that says the more you get the more you want mm. okay this is true for things like alcohol and drugs and any other addiction 
So, but the thing that caused them to turn to the alcohol or the drugs or the addiction in the first place came first. No one starts abusing alcohol, drugs, or other things. Nobody starts down the spiral of self-destruction unless there is something that causes them to start down that road in the first place. And it's just that as they descend that downward spiral, remember, it's the whole reason why the um, the whole reason why you have these things like uh, the, the downward spiral and why these things like drugs and, and these other addictive things deplete and weaken the person. It's because the more depleted and weakened and withered and worn out and used up they become, the more susceptible, the more energy, the more of their remaining energy they will feed to that demon inside of them of self-loathing. The more they will shame themselves and judge themselves. And they'll be feeding the demon of self-loathing. And the demon becomes more and more powerful and has greater and greater hold over them. But it had to be there at the, at the outset in the first place. And this is what people who work with addicts realize, that it's not the substance. The, getting them to stop using is only the first step. Well, getting them to stand up and admit that they're a user, that's the first step in the 12-step program. But there's 12 steps. And getting them to stop using is just another of the 12 steps, but there's 10 more steps, <laughs> right? And those 10 other steps are dealing with this deeper issue, the real cause of the addiction. So when we talk about global elites and their behaviors and their, their um, appetites, for lack of a better word, because they have appetites, Okay, the thing is when you've, when you've eaten everything, when you've tried everything, tasted everything, driven everything, you know, you've been in every yacht, you've flown in every business class of every plane and every private jet, when you've, when you've been everywhere, right, and you've eaten every four-star Michelin restaurant, Right. I mean, what what's left? So, but but the thing is, is that what caused you to go out and seek happiness and pleasure through those particular appetites, through that materialism, because that. Is what you've been feeding with all of that. 
It doesn't mean that you can't go out and enjoy a good meal. But most of us, we once in a blue moon go out and have an opportunity for whatever reason and by whatever means to go to a fancy restaurant or have a you know, special meal prepared for us or something. And we enjoy and we have a really special meal. It's like, wow, that was really special. That was blessed. That was whatever. But most of us don't <clears throat> seek pleasure in that way. But if we had the means to do it, there are people who do seek pleasure that way and they seek their happiness that way. And if, if their food is not perfect, then their meal is ruined. They have to send it back. This is, you know, there, there are people like this. Everything has to be materially perfect. Because they, they have cut themselves off from the source of perfection within them. They have no recourse of action but to seek perfection in their surroundings, in their environment, in what they own, what they possess, in what they control, in the behaviors of the people that they control, and in what they consume and in what they fornicate with. Remember, demons possess. This is where the word possession comes from. What do you own? Do you know the expression? The things you own end up owning you? Materialism is possession. We think we own shit. We don't own jack shit. We are owned by our shit. We are possessed. Everything that we possess, that we are attached to and identified with and can't let go of, we call it a possession of mine. Yes, it's a possession of yours, all right. Words have power. Words have meaning. There is something inside of you that is possessing you through that possession, through that identification and attachment to that material thing. You are being possessed. Words have power. Words have meaning. This is, these are not by accident, and I'm not making any of this up. That's what a possession is. That's the modus operandi of demons. Demons possess. Demons possess. That time is coming to an end. 
And so when the elite, in their hubris, in their pride, in their arrogance, and in their insatiable appetite and desire to have it all and possess it all for themselves, when they take that aspect of possession away from the masses, that's the opening for the Holy Spirit, for the light to come in. Because a humanity that's possessed by its possessions, if it has those possessions taken away, then it won't be possessed by those possessions anymore, will it? And this is why materialism must come to an end. It must. And rightly so. There is nothing virtuous about the, about the, the identification and attachment to physical anything. I don't care if it is a diamond. I don't care if diamonds do last forever. It does, you know. Hmm. I'm guilty. I have a few possessions that I'm attached to. I admit it, right? I have I have my my cross, right? That was was handmade for me. My parents had it handmade. It's a Saint Stephen's cross. It's Hungarian cross, and um, I have another little gold heart here. That was uh, belonged to my great grandmother. So I have that. This is important to me. So we're not, you know, I'm not, I'm not free of possession. <laughs> but you know, working on it. I have fewer possessions than most. And yet, I'm more possessed than most. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, the Merovingian is a very lustful character. Maybe he represents that ego. Um, and he says, yes, your words bring clarity about this matter. I hope that a lot of people will listen. Okay. And then he typed something that he, he accidentally typed. Um, the, uh, that's not to say that we won't own things. That's not, the, that's not you know, it's not about, <clears throat> because even in our own, even in the Atlas project, we have something called C valuation, social, environmental, economic valuation. Even we recognize that the mutual exchange of energy, right? So in a bartering system or exchange of commodities, physical goods or whatever, there's, there's an aspect of that is as above, so below. It's a mutual exchange of energy and having a currency, a money, a monetary system around that, a financial system, an economic system around that. We recognize that that's a practical, meaningful thing to have in the world that we live in. But that does not have to preclude this, this materialism, this materialist philosophy 
of materialist science, of materialist everything, of materialist healthcare, medicine. Like it's it's you can yeah, have, I mean, right? You can be in the world and not be of the world. Yeah, uh, I, I I get you. It's like the difference is it the difference between like having a car for practical reasons or having a souped up V eight that's got you know the chrome rims and the cast. You get yeah. There's a di there's a distinct yeah. difference because those people are possessed by the possession. They're spending all their time, their energy, their money on this hobby, etc. Look, each to their own. But for me, that's not me. That's not. How me. many how many rooms can you live in at once? Yeah, one. One. Right. How many like? you know here in north america they measure they measure real estate in square feet uh i don't do good i don't I, I don't do math so i don't know how that works into square meters but in here in north america they measure it in square feet and uh you know three thousand four thousand five thousand six thousand ten thousand square feet ha homes right Th and and to put that in perspective that's like you know that's like seven eight nine bedrooms five bathrooms you know four car garage you ask yourself and then there's you know three people living in that house this is what this is what we mean by materialism right and yeah your your example with the v8 okay so there's going to be people that take umbrage to that um some people like to drive fast they like their sport you know but then there's people who collect them, right? Like Jerry Seinfeld or uh, Jay Leno. Jay Leno has, I don't know, hundreds, literally hundreds of cars in his collection. Um, and it's like, it's like, okay, I, I, you know, I mean, I suppose you can look at it as these are museum pieces. They deserve to be protected or preserved or something. I don't know. Um, it's the thing about people defining themselves by their hobbies and by their 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 possessions so yeah. people, so people who collect things for example right like so collecting cars that's a you know but then there's the people who collect comic books or people who collect toys you know mint mint in package just imagine the the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to buy a toy a toy and never play with it yeah it's just like my tv i mean many things that i actually have is like gifted from other people <laughs> so yeah I made it a rule that they shouldn't give me plants because otherwise I will just forget them and they will die. <laughs> um, but listen, it looks like we're down to just the three of us. Um, so um, it's been three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share with you where things, uh, what it looks like anyway, things are heading. And uh, this short-term politics in the U.S. and whatever, uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty inconsequential in the big picture. Um, 
there are there are more fundamental things at play, uh, whether or not China invades Taiwan, uh, and of course, if the Ukraine, because you know Ukraine is uh, one of the uh, world suppliers of uh, what, what is it? Is it is it potash or anyway? What they make what they make nitrogen fertilizer out of? Yeah, and, um, they have big oil oil companies and, and such as well. And, and and so if if this if this conflict and uh, uh, drags out too much longer, um, China will be suffering a famine in the next few years because they get all of their nitrogen fertilizer from the Ukraine, and they can't grow rice without it because they're notoriously bad. Uh, conditions in China for growing rice and rice is their staple food. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be happening in the meantime, in the next eight years before we get to this point. But all of these various different crises are going to be uh, being in part engineered in part, just uh, as a matter of circumstance to help escalate and accelerate and, and increase the intensity behind the global elites uh, impetus to impose this new world order, which they're calling the Great Reset. And the worse things get, the better it will, the elite will believe it's, their position is becoming. But in reality, the worse things get, the better a position we will be in <clears throat> because the circumstances, the situation were created by the global elite and by the existing world order. So more and more people are going to be looking at the situation and looking at the same old stories and the same old narratives being spun and played and, and, and playing themselves out <clears throat> and more and more we'll be looking to alternatives and we want to make sure that we are situated in and amongst those alternatives in a very uh, central way in a very uh, um, we are a part of that and that we are our message and our um guidance teaching whatever you know and 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 uh, solutions that we have in the atlas project etc are front and center uh as a part of that alternative that the atlas project is situated and positioned uh, firmly in the camp of that alternative yeah and um if as much as possible we want to have a very open, a very open armed approach to this because we welcome any and all defectors from the elite camp who don't want to have any part of that dystopian nightmare, don't want to be a part of it. They don't want to have any role in it. They don't want to see humanity go down that road because we can show them an alternative. And, um, and if enough, if enough dissent, if enough defect, then 
the remaining families, their power structures and everything, they won't have a they won't have a leg to stand on, because because remember the people at the top are only as strong as the pyramid beneath them, and if you erode the pyramid from the bottom, then then the, you know the, the the structure will collapse. Yeah, they will have to suffer a lot if they do defect. Okay, uh, before we go, we usually give some some uh, time for any questions or any other comments that anyone might have. Benjamin threw in the comment here, the four horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, anyone have any other questions or comments? Or, just on uh, what, just on what you're talking about, Atlas. Mm -hmm. um, there is, there is a a, a lot of people online are more and more looking to alternate sources. So there are, I look at a few things in the political space and a couple of other areas, economics as well, and more and more people, whether, I'm not sure whether it's top people from the top, but like a lot of these YouTube creators and the thing they're talking about, even what you're looking at it from an esoteric angle, people look at it from a political angle, let's say, then you have it, another channel I watch looks at it from an economic angle. There's many angles people are looking at, but they're all, in essence, still talking about the same thing. And then they might use different terminology and they might not use, um, they might not be looking at it all the same. But as you're saying, everyone's going to converge at some point and offer some sort of alternate to, to the current system. And I think we just need to keep talking and trying to collaborate as much as we can with people with yeah, different basically reach out areas. reach out because it doesn't because well it's like what you're saying with the new age community and they're the and look i i know i know people and i i was of that mindset and they'll be some of the first that'll get all the ego straight in and it's like what i try and remember remind some of my friends who are like that it's like don't worry about that we can disagree but your viewpoint isn't the be all and end all like we're still in essence talking about the same thing just because i'm not 100 percent saying what you're saying we can all yeah. still come on one point and not worry about the little the little details but people get very worked up over the de over the details and this is also kind of how the others the black lodge confuses people because there's too many there's all these rabbit holes that people are going down and they it's good to go down rabbit holes but one thing I try and remember is we're all in essence talking we're, there's this dividing line of thought and there's these two camps and that's what you got to think you, that's what you got to think about is the two camps there's not a million camps there's in essence there's still two camps <laughs> yeah indeed because it's all it's all very confusing isn't it well um, our goal is to help try to simplify it and in terms of all the different um, aspects or all the different ways of some people looking at politics some people looking at economics some people looking at different things um, that's why we have the atlas project because um, you know we have this right we put it all on one we put it all under one roof Right? We have ecosystem advanced human habitat. We have social environmental economic valuation. 
society engaged electronic democracy, individuals seeking analogous ultimate methodology, sound empowered enlightened metaphysical science and spiritually enlightened education and culture. What have we missed? I don't think you've missed anything. So the point here is um, that's why we have the Atlas project as a vehicle. Now we have Atlas information and these live streams um, have been having a certain direction, a certain point, but <clears throat> the whole point of the video that we've been working on is, um, is precisely to, um, is precisely to make the connection, right? <clears throat> between the esoteric, between the metaphysical, right? The metamind and the true human being and uh, the real metaverse, right? A true human being, uh, the conscious exploration, exposition, application of actual metaverse via the metamind of being <clears throat> and how it's out of that metaverse that the practical solutions that humanity needs will be born that's where they come from right they didn't these things didn't did not come from my ego mind so the atlas project that's when, when we talk about the death of materialism something has to take its place so it's 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 immaterialism which takes its place, right? It's the recognition of the 4D metaphysical foundation of not just the true human being in microcosm, but the world in macrocosm. So there is no economics without the esoteric. There is no ecosystem there is no ecology without the fourth dimension there is no economics without the fourth dimension and the fifth and the sixth there is no science without the fourth fifth sixth and seventh there is no mathematics without the seventh dimension there is no high art without spirituality this is why we're here to unite all of this stuff under one banner, under one roof, under one cohesive, consistent, self-evident, experiential truth that all of this silos and, oh, they understand the world this way and they understand the world that way and they understand the world that way. No, they don't understand the word world, period, if that's how they understand the world. Yeah, and that's the people we try to reach out to, basically. Those we're, who we're, are driven but confused. I'm not in the business of understanding. I'm in the business of knowing. Yeah. I'm not in the business of explaining. I'm in the business of showing. Shedding light. Show and tell, maybe a little bit. but Well, maybe a lot of tell in these, in these live streams. But in this video to show and to put and to basically hold a mirror up to you in your own life. So you go, Oh, okay. 
You look inside yourself. You see it for yourself and know yourself. Know the truth for yourself, through yourself. Then you will know. And you won't have to understand anymore. To understand, to stand beneath. You can't get a good view standing beneath anything. You get on top. You get above it. You get a bird's eye view looking down. Then you can know. You know where you stand. You rise above. And... And I'm just a messenger here, right? So if anything that I say or do is of value, it's only because I'm bringing it into the world. Through my devotion, dedication, loyalty, and effort, and energy. And that's the message that has to get across. We are not true human beings. This humanity must break out of its, of its, its self-imposed nightmare, its self-imposed hell of materialism. And luckily, the Black Lodge is going to do the heavy lifting for us. And I, for one, what, okay, Sun Tzu, is it Sun Tzu? Sun Tzu said, Never interrupt your adversary whilst they are in the middle of making a mistake. The Black Lodge is giving us this humanity on a silver platter. They are going to overreach. They're going to overplay their hand like they always do. Patience is a virtue. And when we're ready, we've prepared, we've readied ourselves for that moment. Like the surfer who's patiently waited, paddled out and is now patiently waiting for the right, for the big one, the big kahuna that he's going to ride and surf. That's where we need to be. That's what we're looking at now. Because these, this thing is coming. Change is coming. And we need to be, we need to embrace that change as children of Aquarius. And, um, and the silos, we have a, a close friend, our ecosystem guru, Wolfgang, he has this expression. Uh, jack of all trades, master of all trades. And it's a, it, it completely turns on its head the, the cliche, jack of all trades, master of none. But that's the rational mind. If the rational mind tries to do the jack of all trades, it can, it can master nothing. But the meta mind, the meta mind seeks mastery first and if you seek if you awaken if you achieve mastery through consciousness well now you can master anything that you approach anything that you touch you can master this is what what the closest things that we had to this 
in our experience, we call them the Renaissance men. Renaissance men. Why did we call them that? Because they were painters, they were architects, they were mathematicians, they were engineers, they were musicians, they were poets, they were philosophers, they were politicians, they were, anything that they touched. They were the wisest, they were the most talented, they were most able, and they produced the most astonishing works for humanity that survive to this day and are and are are held in the highest esteem and are 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 valued more than anything uh, that this humanity ever produced. They didn't do that by sticking to the knitting. They didn't do that by studying one thing. No. They did it by finding the unformed essences of truth behind all form. And they found it everywhere they looked. And they found it, most importantly, within themselves. The Aum of life. The meta-paradigm upon which all other paradigms are built. If you master the meta-paradigm, you've mastered all paradigms. The rest are just details. Einstein said, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are details. This is... This is where humanity needs to be. This is where humanity needs to be. Where the rational mind, yeah, 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 works out the little details, the little technical details. Rational mind is good at that. Insert tab A into slot B. Yeah, 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 we can do that. We can follow the, uh, you know, the IKEA uh, instructions. <laughs> right? But the, but the, but the grand design, the grand vision comes from within. And then, so the rational mind is a, is a, is a, um, a loyal servant. And the meta mind, the intuitive mind, the uber mind, the over mind, the Buddha mind, doesn't matter what you call it. It's gifts. Are, you bring those two things together and... This is where we're at. This is my job. This is why I'm here. Yeah. This is what humanity is missing, is lacking. And what doesn't realize and doesn't see that all of our problems and all of our suffering and all of our everything is because of this fact that we are not true human beings. We're not using all of our faculties. We don't we don't comprehend who and what we truly are. We don't comprehend the true nature of reality. And we don't function, we don't operate in the right way. And it doesn't take much to fix. It really doesn't. If, if the distractions, the alternatives, the possession is no longer standing in our way. Because right now, that possession is really strong. 
very powerful. It's a very, very deep, deeply dug in parasitic hold over this humanity, that possession. Possessions. The possession of possessions, the possession of materialism, the possession of ideas, of beliefs, of theories. This humanity is still completely enslaved to theories that were dreamt up hundreds of years ago that still have never been proven. And yet they are the foundation of many of the different schools of thought that this humanity teaches and follows and believes to this day. Madness, madness. But how do, you, how do you crack that armor that's been galvanized over hundreds of years, over tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of so-called experts in the field and the consensus? How do you crack that armor? Well, start by taking away everybody's possessions. Start by limiting free speech. Start by doing, like, impose, overreach. When the Black Lodge overreaches and starts really going too far, people start getting, like, shocked out of, like, you know, consciously shocked out of their complacency, out of their sleep. And they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a second. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on? What's happening? I don't own anything anymore. I don't, and now I'm being tracked everywhere. And now I've got a social credit score. Now, if I say something you don't like, I, I, I I'm unplugged from the system. What? How is this? What? Like, yeah. you know, like just enough things where they go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, okay. And enough people do that, and you give them the truth. And the alternative, you give them an arc and you give them a ramp. And you say, why don't you walk up this ramp and see what we got inside? Right? I'm not going to be putting any, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be putting a gun to anybody's head telling them to get on the arc or else. <laughs> All right? I'm not going to need to do that. Okay, the dissidents, all those people, including my parents, who defected from the for former Soviet Union and risked life and limb to do so, to try to make a better life for themselves in the West. The guns that were pointed at them were, they were, def they were, the guns that were pointing at them were not to get them to leave, but to get them to stay. And ironically, it's the guns that were pointed at them and the fence and the wall and the, and the, the, the overreaching, overbearing hand of the uh, system that was trying to tighten its grip on everyone and possess everyone that was precisely the impetus that gave my parents to risk life and limb and, and, and suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to flee 
and then come to North America, come to Canada and, and come with nothing, absolutely nothing, not even the language and try to make a life for themselves and their family here. So all we will have to do is shine. All we will have to do is be, be, bring our gifts into the world, do what we came here to do, be who we were born to be and let let the other side do what they do best which is overreach they're going to try to possess everyone by taking away their possessions and the worse it gets the more people are going to be looking over that iron curtain into the pockets of of eden that the rest of us are going to be bringing forth into the world and making reality and manifesting but not manifesting with our desires, but manifesting with our blood, sweat, and tears and our devotion and dedication and hard work. Not with black magic, but actual practical efforts on behalf of humanity for the sake of not just this humanity, but the sake of collecting the seeds for the next humanity and starting to formulate and lay down the general broad framework and fabric for the for the golden age because that's what goes into the ark the seeds and the teaching uh benjamin says even politics like religion beliefs don't necessarily disagree that just ends up being a sort of principle and he says, the day, sci quote, the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena, it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of, his, of its existence. And that's a quote from Nikolai Tesla. And uh, that's exactly right. And Benjamin says, materialism is a dead end. And that's, that's where we are at. That's where we're at. Scientists all over the world are bumping up against the glass ceiling of materialism, of materialist thinking, of materialist philosophy, of materialist paradigms, and realizing, oh shit, maybe we've got it all backwards. Because we do. We have it all upside down, inverted. Inverted. This humanity is inverted. The inverted pentagram. That's why we suffer from materialism. That's why we suffer from material possessions, because we are all possessed. We are all fallen. The inverted pyramid is the inverted pentagram. Sorry, the inverted pentagram is the, uh, um, uh, the goat head. Got to turn that upright. Upright thought, upright action. Upright thought and upright action is metaphysical. That is the foundation for humanity moving forward, if humanity is to have any sort of future whatsoever. And it will be, and, and the metaphysical is the foundation for the Golden Age. That's why the Great Pyramids and all the other things of the Golden Age of Egypt all defy the laws of physics and the laws of science and the laws of engineering as we know them. Because the Great Pyramids were not built 
using cranes and machines and and gears and levers and all that physical nonsense. That's not how they were built. That's not how those blocks were hewn. That's not how that's not how they were moved, and that's not how they were set into place. Just like the little the little uh, perfume bottles carved out of a single piece of obsidian, with with necks that are just a mere millimeters uh, op opening in the in their necks, and the walls of the obsidian just a few millimeters thick. They were not carved with any mechanical, physical device. There's nothing in existence that can create an object like that physically. Nothing. There's no way to do it. This is something that engineers and historians conveniently ignore. That there are artifacts in Egyptian museums that completely defy the laws of physical reality. And yet there they are, and they were made by human beings, true human beings. How did they make them? With metaphysical science, with metaphysical technology. This is the, this is the only future. And there are plenty of people in the elite camp who have already recognized this and they've already defected and they brought tremendous resources and tremendous talent and intelligence and passion and interest and and a lot of uh some of them maybe even a lot of um, um longing for uh <clears throat> what's the word that we're looking for redemption and restitution to redeem themselves after a lifetime of accumulation of wealth at other people's expense, now they want to do something truly tremendous and meaningful for humanity. And believe me, and there are more of them. There are more of them because meaning and purpose trumps all. Because Alexander wept for there were no worlds left to conquer. And apart from awakened demons and such, okay, which can't, which, you know, getting to one of them is like, is like trying to turn Darth Vader back to the light side. It's going to take an extraordinary effort. <laughs> but there are plenty, plenty of individuals who were, who were fortunate in birth, who were, who were lucky in, in, in uh, business and so on and so forth. And, and they're sitting there with all of their accumulated wealth and everything else, possessions and so on and so forth, and their lives are completely devoid of meaning. And their lives are empty and purposeless and meaningless and hollow. And it doesn't matter how expensive the restaurant is or, or how expensive the automobile or the yacht or the private jet or the prostitute. It, it cannot fill the void in their heart. Well, that's why part three of the video that we're working is all about meaning. The meaning of the human condition, how to find that meaning, what that meaning is for everyone, period, full stop. 
for every true human being, there is but one meaning, one purpose. That's it. And it is the birthright of every single true human being. And it is within their grasp. And when their possessions are taken away from them, when everything that they thought was what gave them meaning is gone, well, they'll all be looking for a new source of meaning now, won't they? And we are going to give it to them. We're going to show them where it is. Right there. They don't even have to go... And they can be locked up with monkeypox, you know. And it, when the time when the time comes and when the time is ready, and everybody has headsets and chips implanted in our head, don't worry. Atlas Arts will be there to create virtual reality meditation chambers for them, with mantras, and to practice runes and interactive things. And I'm sure we can work with Glorian and others to to create virtual experiences that people, even those who are trapped in the dystopian metaverse and trapped in their, isolated in their, in their, uh, in their uh, apartments that they now rent, there's always a way, there's always a way. The White Lodge, we regularly descend into hell to save souls. There is no place we will not go for the sake of a soul, for the sake of liberating a monad from its hell. There is nothing we won't do and there's no place we won't go, meaning there's no sacrifice that we won't do, no hardship we won't endure, no, uh, uh, and that's just the way we are. That's just the way we are. So there it is. There it is. This, I've been waiting for this my entire life. And in, in a very real way, many lives. And if my intuition on this is correct, then I've been, that this is what I do. I've been waiting thousands of years for this moment. Because if my intuition is correct, the last time I did this, I did this for, for Atlantis. And that's why I'm here to do it again. <clears throat> All right. Materialism, its days are numbered. And so take heart that the more the elite, the more the Black Lodge overreach and grasp to try to possess humanity, the more they tighten that grip, the more will slip through their fingers and we will be there to give them a place. We will be there to catch them and collect them and give them, give them new hope and new direction, and new meaning and new purpose. And and um, 
And all is not lost. All hope is not lost yet for this humanity. Not, not, not while I live and breathe. Not while I live and breathe. Not while the Atlas Project is a, is, is a thing. And even though it's not a thing yet, <laughs> barely a thing, um, uh, for me, it's already materialized in the astral plane. So, um, so there it is. And as we move forward, um, you know, the connections will, like we said, that the, the, the connect, the connecting tissue between these nodes, between these cells all over the world, they're going to start forming and those connections are going to start being made. And, um, and the Atlas project will, will begin to take on a whole new level, a whole new, a whole new, uh, um, fabric. So, well, I suppose as an individual, we just have to work on ourselves. You're doing, you're doing all the heavy lifting, try and support, try and support, try and support you. But do what we can. What no? But do what we can as an individual ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 But look, look at ourselves and into ourselves. What all all anyone can do, all anyone can do, is uh, awaken and um, and and listen. Like as you said, make that connection. Make that connection with your higher self. Remember your divine mother, and and know yourself. Know what's what's standing between you and your your being, your true self. What's sta- what's hijacking, filtering, and and deflecting, and stealing, and twisting, and corrupting that which is coming from your being. And intended to come through you into the world, and so the more you you get the obscurations out of the way, your own internal adversaries, the more you get them out of the way, and that's through comprehension, mind you. So you have to observe them and meditate and comprehend your internal adversaries. And the more the the more you can weaken their possession of you, their stranglehold over your life, the more you can increase the bandwidth. And that's freeing consciousness, awakening consciousness. And then you have greater access to metamind, the metamind of your being. And then, you know, it's like when that starts flowing, but it, it's not a, every time you talk about it like this, it makes it seems like you have to wait until you do, you know, step A and then step B and then step C happens and then you will be able to do step D. But it's not like that. It's like the all the steps are concurrent. They're all in parallel. They're all happening in the same time. It's just it's the question of do, the degree to which they are able to are able to happen increases as you go down the line. So at the beginning, your connection to your intuition may be very weak. But it's all you have, so use it. Use it. Well, I, f- I find at times it can still, like, we're talk- I was talking about the rabbit holes, it can still distract you, it can still distract you from the main goal, which is 
which you've just made me realize is looking looking at oneself that's the that's the main goal that we have to try and focus on and not yeah. get distracted and not get distracted you will get distracted i get distracted yeah it's okay you you just bring your attention back that's all you just remember what you should be doing and when you get distracted and then you know what bring yourself back and then try to register what distracted me why why did i get distracted just then where was i when i just got distracted and what was it that caused my distraction this could give you a lot of insight so self-observation is not it's not it's not a matter of preventing distractions from happening it's the opposite it's allowing the distractions to take place without judgment yeah but, to observe them but remaining in observation of them exactly and and the goal is to comprehend the distractions the causes of the distractions because in the comprehension of the causes of distractions we can get to then not having the, the distractions anymore but not because we're avoiding them or forcing them or br using brute force to suppress or repress them but because we've eliminated their cause and all of this and when we we eliminate the cause of our suffering the causes of our suffering when we eliminate an ego we free up some consciousness that was bottled up inside that ego so so as we do this work we go around and around the alm of life it's a slowly slowly expanding upward spiral every time we go around we descend into the dungeon and we destroy a, a you know we we destroy a, a monster a boss we come back to the surface we come back with a little more treasure then when we and a little more experience we come back with a higher level than we did when we went down and so then then we'll go down again but now we go into a deeper level of the dungeon because we're starting out at a higher level and that's that that's that's how the spiral works and that's why we have this uh and that's um no i can't show it to you on this uh yeah that's why they say the first descent is the worst one sorry yeah that's that's why they say the first descent is the worst one because the distance that you have to co cover is like at its peak no yeah but that's not how that works because you're 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 going the other way you start oh, out yeah. in the middle you start out in the middle the first descent is the easy one. Oh yeah the heart the, the because remember the spiral is getting bigger it's it's an outward it's an expanding spiral right it's it's the ladder it's jacob's ladder right it's to get higher into heaven you have to go deeper into hell the first descent is only hard because you never made the descent before your level you're a level one character to look at yeah. it from a dungeons and dragons point of view so you're just you're just you're just fighting rats but you have basically a butter knife <laughs> and uh and and some some scrappy leather armor that's that's basically what your weaponry is because you're level one so you're fighting rats but those rats are over you know they're they're terrifying 
Yeah. Right? It's your first dungeon. But then, you know, you you this is this is the process. But it doesn't get any easier the higher yeah. level you get because the, the the higher level you get, the deeper you must go into the dungeon and the deeper you go into the dungeon, the bigger the monsters get. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, our... I was thinking the re reversed way around that if you do fall at the higher levels, I mean, yeah. Well, that, yeah, so... I, remember, I remember one of your videos on um, Lord of, of the Lord of the Rings scene, especially, and that scene where you talk about where Gandalf falls and he's fighting the Balrog, I never understood why that resonated so much with me until, until I, until you explain that, explain that to me. That that's what that scene is talking about. It's talking about your descent, your reemergence at that spiral that you speak of. Yeah, and that's why movies like that and material like that resonate with us so so much because it's talking about real things that our inner self is wanting us to explore. And that that scene. That um, uh, sequence and the subsequent return of Gandalf, but he returns Gandalf the White, right? He, he, when he descended, when he fell, when he fell into the chasm, he was but Gandalf the Grey. And he even says this, oh, Gandalf, Gandalf, yes, yes, that's what they used to call me, Gandalf the Grey. I am Gandalf the White, and I return to you now at the turning of the tide, right? Like, because up until now, he was, he was at a certain level. Sauron was the White Wizard, right? Sauron was, was a higher level than Gandalf. And that's why Sauron was able to imprison Gandalf, overpower him, because, you know, the two wizards fight. But when Gandalf defeats the Balrog, he and he undergoes his his transformation, he essentially levels up. And um, so what we're talking about here is this spiral, right? The, the, this the spiral, if we, you know, block out the two sides, we see a ladder. There's a ladder in the middle of that spiral. But in order to ascend to the next rung on the ladder, we must first descend to the previous rung on the ladder. This is Jacob's ladder. This is a Milton's sketch. Of Saint uh, of uh, of Jacob's ladder from the Bible, it's also the the, uh, Dante, the the levels of hell and the levels of heaven in Dante's Divine Comedy, where you know Dante and Virgil are ascending and descending. It's also the wheel of Samsara. It's the uh, Tibetan Bhava Chakra, the wheel of becoming. It also has serious implications for the Tao. And it is the descent of Theseus and Perseus into the labyrinth to defeat the Minotaur and defeat the Medusa. It is Joseph Campbell's heroic journey. 
right? It's sent from the ordinary world into the special world. And you see it's even drawn as a spiral in this graphic where you, you begin at stasis and then you end up ascending to a higher level. And then you do the journey again. And this is what Arneson and, and, uh, and Gigax, David Arneson and Gary Gigax, were the first to introduce this concept in, in, um, in Dungeons and Dragons, the concept of experience points and leveling up. So that scene of Gandalf and the Balrog and returning Gandalf the White, that was the leveling up which inspired David Arneson and Gary Gigax to include that system in their, for the first time in any tabletop game in history, to have an experience point and a leveling system that was inspired by Tolkien and Gandalf. And it is now the de facto modus operandi paradigm for all video games, whether they call it points or experience points, or it doesn't matter, but they're levels. It's all, it's all about levels and it getting to the next level. And of course, Jung's discussion of uh, his quote, there is no tree whose branches reach into heaven without their roots reaching down into hell. And, um, oh, I forget this guy's name, but I have it written down. It's a, his quote is, we are both a sculptor and the marble, basically. And it's a spiral that's present in all of nature and all the different levels of nature. And that was uh, defined by Fibonacci in the Fibonacci sequence. It was also um, um, recognized by uh, Rudolf Steiner with his, uh, his uh, flow forms of water and energizing and creating living water. And then, of course, we have Tesla and the Tesla coil. And finally, we have the 4D vortex science of Walter Russell. And in the modern parlance, we have the MIT supercomputers visualization of the 4D of the Tesseract or the 4D hypercube. And then we have the actual or more accurate visualization of the fourth dimension, which uh, science has yet to uh, has yet to uh, recognize. And all of this. All of this is the alm of life. That's one slide in my video. Yeah. <laughs> That's one slide. <laughs> um, so anyway, look, any other uh, questions or comments? I basically have to go now. It's getting quite late. Yeah, yeah, for you it must be. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, thank you all for um, for coming out again. And uh, I know I keep saying this, but this time I really do mean it. Um, yeah. I'm I, I was working on the last slide today, so it's really just a matter of writing the text and recording it, and then exporting it from PowerPoint into video and putting it into Premiere and editing and, and doing all the rest of it. Um, if I can somehow pull it off in one week, uh, then, then this time next week, I'll be able to Premiere it. 
um, in which case what I'll do is I'll make a, when, when this video premieres, I'll do a premiere on YouTube, and uh, which means that our live stream will start a little bit later, but I'll announce on Facebook the premiere. So I'll, I'll make the premiere and I'll put the premiere on Facebook as a separate event. And then the live stream will start at like 2.20 or 2.30 or however long it's going to be. Yeah. So give everybody a chance to watch it and then we'll have a discussion of it. Um, but uh, because I want feedback as well. Uh, you know, I'd be looking for things that what's missing, what worked, what didn't work, what could be changed, you know, so on and so forth. Um, because, you know, this really needs to be, you know, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. Yeah. It's this type of thing. Uh, any other comments or questions or anything? And then. Oh, I can just say on that last on that last um, one you put up mm -hmm. from from your movie, uh, uh, you've impressed me even more with some of the people you're quoting. That they, they were oh. people I yeah. <laughs> it's it, it it looks like it's going to be a really good piece once it's all together. Definitely does. And um, there was there was something. I, have you have you ever seen? the um, movie the dark crystal yes yes so we're talking about all this stuff and what reminds me with the black talking with the black lodge you know the scene at the end where the skexes are all around the dark crystal and they're rejoicing that they've won that their thousand years of their thousand years of rule is about to come into being however they make the fatal mistake that they make the fatal mistake he reemerges the crystal, they mm -hmm. despair, and then the pure being comes into comes into essence. It it kind of reminds me of what's that mo that movie to me is a very profound movie. I, I find it's it's got a lot of meaning to it. And yeah, that scene kind of to me encapsulates what's going on right now because we are at a point of a great conjunction. And we just have to wait. Um there will be look there's a i've had there's only one way uh to be um to do this work like at the level that we're doing it at and that's to be we have to be we're coming from a place that's beyond the dao and to come from the place beyond the dao there's no skexies and mixed mystics there's only the the glowing being and and <clears throat> the it's just it's my favorite analogy it's like my my opponent in chess is my adversary but not my enemy and it's but on the board they're ruthless right but when you step outside the board, right? If you're not identified with the pieces in the board, if you're not seeing it from the first person perspective, as from the perspective of the pawn or the knight or the bishop or the queen, then, then you can step back and look across the table and say, yeah, okay, the pieces that are taking my pieces, 
it's just a game. And the guy who's ravaging and slaughtering and killing me in the game, afterwards, we're going to go and have a beer. So it's here and now. It's just the ego is so identified and attached to opposition and the dialectic. It can't, it can't make that leap. But your experience can make that leap. Jennifer says, thank you. I am glad to see how the death of materialism provides an opportunity of birth into a higher way of living. And Benjamin says later, I think he's signing off as well. I think we should all sign off because yeah. it's getting way too late for 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 anybody. We'll we'll listen. We'll pick this up, of course, next week. Uh, thank you all for joining us as always. Thank you, uh, Blake and Azazil, for uh, participating um, and with your uh, your questions and comments and insights. And uh, look, if I can manage it, I look forward to premiering this video for you all. That's been basically completely consuming my life for the last six months. Um, if not, then you'll have to wait another week. But, yeah. <laughs> but either way, it's coming. It's coming. So uh, thank you all for being here. And uh, as always, uh, we sign off. We'll say, uh, where is it? Got to get into, into frame. In virtual peace. Take care. Um, goodbye, everyone. Have, have a great week. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you again next yeah. week. You too.